Let's all go to the movies. Let's all go to the the movies. Let's all go to the the movies to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The subway's probably quickest. Me in a metal tube with hundreds of people in the most aggressive city in the world. Right. Let's get a cab. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's All Go to the Marvels. Uh, you would not like me when I'm hungry. I am Doug Leaf. Hey, Jordan T. Maxwell, smash! <laughs> As we all like to smash, because today we are talking about uh, 2008's The Incredible Hulk, not to be confused with The Other Hulk, uh, directed by Amy, which we'll, we'll do uh, sometime when we feel like some self-flagellation. <laughs> Circle, circle back around to to Hulk. <laughs> when we feel like doing the, uh, that. the, the articleless and adjectiveless Hulk. Let's be. <laughs> it Appropriately is just enough, yeah. Hulk. Not in, the not incredible Hulk. Um, yeah, uh, which, <laughs> which does have some sort of tenuous connections to this movie that we'll we'll talk about. Um, but of course, before we get into talking about the Incredible Hulk too much. Um, a few admin things up at the top. Of course, if you like the show, um, please follow us on Twitter at, at go to the Marvels. That's where you can uh, communicate with us. And uh, please, of course, uh, subscribe and uh, drop us a little love on uh, iTunes by reviewing us. That helps with the visibility of the show. Um, so as we like to do up top, uh, I'm always like I always like to ask you, Jordan, about your personal connection to the material, um, either the movie or, or the character in general. So let's start there. Uh, so I, I have an odd kind of, uh, relationship with the Hulk, uh, the way my fandom sort of weaves in and out, uh, growing up, I remember my first exposure to him was, um, not the sixties, uh, animated series, not the original from like way, way back. But, uh, uh, I, I was a child of the eighties and there was a Hulk cartoon, which if, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I think was paired up with, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I might've caught this, uh, in syndication. I remember my sister really loved it. The Hulk in the cartoon scared me legitimately anytime, like in the opening sequence, they would show Bruce Banner changing into the Hulk. And as a child, uh, I was, terrified to the point that I couldn't watch the rest of it. Like I loved Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And then like it would switch over to Hulk. And one of the first images is banner going full gamma. Um, and I couldn't watch the rest of it cause I thought it was, it was too scary and I didn't like scary things as a kid. Uh, it was, uh, that was uh, probably around the same time that I first saw the uh, the Thriller music video, and it scarred me for life. I think it's a piece of brilliant uh, filmmaking now. Uh, thriller, not necessarily. I haven't revisited uh, the, the Hulk cartoon, um, but I remember just being terrified of him. And then a few years later, discovering sort of in a backwards way, because the TV series... Uh, with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno 
was of course off the air by the time I uh, was old enough uh, to watch television. But they did a series of made-for-TV movies kind of following up on that continuity. And I saw a couple of those and was still kind of scared of the Hulk. But for some reason, just seeing him as like guy with bushy mop of hair and uh, spray-painted green skin was less terrifying to me than the cartoon. And so I became fascinated with the movies and... I think those were so popular that the series kind of got a life, uh, or maybe I just hadn't noticed it, but uh, in syndication. And I went back and watched a lot of those episodes. Uh, And by this point, I had kind of discovered more of actual Marvel comics uh, beyond uh, cartoons or kind of tangential exposure from friends. So I knew who the Hulk was, but I hadn't read a whole lot of him. I'd read like a few scattered appearances or he'd show up uh, in other books I was reading or you know, going back and being an X-Men fan, as, we, as we've discussed in the past. I think one of the first Hulk comics I read was going back and reading Incredible Hulk number 181, which was the first appearance of Wolverine um, in a very different kind of adventure. And so that was my first exposure uh, to the Hulk villain Wendigo as well. Um, But so like, I I kind of kept just sort of dancing around and uh, should be noted and we'll get around to these eventually. But uh, one of those Hulk made for TV movies, actually two of those Hulk made for TV movies um, were my exposure, my first exposure to uh, a few other Marvel characters, uh, Thor, Daredevil and Kingpin were all featured in those. And so then discovering their uh, much more fantastical uh, comic book counterparts was kind of eye-opening at the time. But so Hulk has always sort of just been on the periphery when I was growing up. And then as I got deeper into fandom, uh, I went back and kind of revisited other more iconic runs. The the Peter David run with the character, uh, which is just truly incredible. Uh, and the things he did with so many of the characters to the point that in my mind, uh, a lot of them were characters that Peter David had created because he was my first exposure. And then going back and realizing, no, so many of them had been, uh, you know, Roy Thomas creations or, uh, of course, you know, Stan and Jack, uh, creating the character right off the bat, uh, back in 1963, um, And I've kind of just revisited him over the years as other creators have taken him on. I just recently uh, finished reading Al Ewing's incredible run of uh, The Immortal Hulk, which uh, I can't recommend highly enough to those of you out there. Uh, The artist uh, proved to be a problematic racist dipshit. Uh, But a very talented problematic racist dipshit so if you can kind of skirt along that um al ewing's writing is incredible i'm such a fan of his and the things he does with hulk like it becomes it starts out as like body horror and moves into cosmic horror but then transitions into like metaphysical discussion of the human condition the only thing i can liken it to is it reminds me very much of alan moore's work on saga of the swamp thing 
and I think it's a seminal Hulk run. It just wrapped up uh, a few months ago. You can read it all in collected volumes. Um, and I think like that sort of my recent, more recent iconic, uh, kind of Hulk. There have been, you know, some other really, uh, awesome writers and runs over the years, but uh, having just read that one and then sort of coming back to this movie with that perspective was very interesting to me. Um, because I remembered seeing this movie, um, in, Los Angeles, where you and I met uh, when I was living there, there was this little discount theater around the corner from my house. Um, and of course, uh, as a you know working actor in Los Angeles, I had a lot of free time on my hands. So most days, uh, if I got tired of uh, submitting auditions and uh, were waiting to hear on callbacks that never came, uh, I would just kind of walk the five or six blocks to this movie theater and just see you know kind of whatever happened to be playing at that time. Um, and it just so happened that uh, on that day, Incredible Hulk was playing. And I think that was actually the first time I went to that theater. And they had this kind of split-level seating, so it was like I was sitting up in the balcony. It was the middle of the day, so it was totally empty. I had, like, my feet up, and I was just sitting there with, you know, like a bowl of popcorn. And it was, you know, for an afternoon, hey, let's waste a couple of hours in the middle of the day movie, um, I found it solid enough. Uh, and certainly much more enjoyable than my experience with uh, Ang Lee's film. But I think especially coming off of Iron Man just a few months before and the realization of what a Marvel movie could really be and the potential behind it, um, it felt very much like a, a throwback to kind of older superhero movies uh when they didn't fully realize what they could do with them yet and it, it just it felt very kind of formulaic and lacking the stakes and like and uh, there was fun bits and you know some action you plenty of smashing which you have to have in a hulk movie but on the whole i was pretty disappointed with it um i've come back to it uh, you know a few times over the years it is the one movie that i will regularly skip on uh marvel on an mcu rewatch when i you know go back to the beginning whatever order i decide to do it in um not always not all the time I, you know i have come to appreciate aspects of it a lot more upon rewatch uh i think some of the performances uh are much better than i gave them credit for um i think there are some while hindered by the technology of the time there are some kind of gorgeously shot scenes and sequences. Um, but yeah, as a whole, as a narrative, as a product, uh, yeah, um, just, just, just shy of solid uh, for me on, uh, the, on my personal rating scale. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I know I'm usually the love fest uh, Marvel guy on uh, past episodes, but this will be the first... Not a hate fest. I don't hate it. I don't think I care enough about it to hate it. Um, it just sort of is. That's kind of where I came down on it as well. You know, I, I, uh, I at first when, when it was time to do this one, I was a little like, oh, this is going to be a redemption for this film a little bit because, as you said, there are certainly things to recommend it. It's not, it's not a bad movie. Like, there's nothing about it that's actively like, ugh. This is, you know, it's you know, the performances are solid. Um, individual scenes are great. 
It just doesn't quite hang together as a whole. So it's sort of like it's an entertaining enough time machine to transport you an hour and a half into the future um, to sit down and watch it. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, you're right. It, like it's missing a little something that a lot of Marvel movies have. And I think hopefully over the course of dissecting the movie uh, tonight, we'll try and figure out, you know, what that little missing piece is because it does get a lot of things right. right. Um and, yeah. and like I said, it's, it, it isn't it is not a quote unquote bad movie. It is just it's a it, movie. You know, it it is a it, film. Is, it is a movie. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> that, so is, that is my rating bar. I can definitely tell you that it is a movie. Yeah. I, I don't regret having watched it. It was entertaining enough. But you're right. No. It's, it's not going to keep me coming back. Um, so. Uh, let's. I, I just it remi- certainly didn't yeah. keep Edward Norton coming back either. So yeah, it uh. <laughs> did not. No. Uh, and I. And again, I think he turns in a good performance here, as he always does. He's an excellent actor. Yeah. You know, again, every He's a single fantastic yeah, actor. All the actors in this movie are doing a great job. Like every single one of them is. It is you a know, very well cast film. There is no weak link of talent. The fa- Tim Blake Nelson. He's awesome. Like I, 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 that's really all I have have to say. Like they got Tim Blake Nelson to come and be like a, an extraordinary, like you know, actor in his own right. But you know, director, writer, playwright, just a, a fantastic, uh, just talent overall. And he comes in and just and is clearly having the most fun, as we will get to uh, towards the end in our discussion. Yeah, he absolutely steals the show for his part of the movie. Um, so let's yeah. get into the, uh, the, um, actually, you know, before you do that, I just want to, I'm curious mention a little bit, Doug, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a little curious cause usually we, we go into this, uh, but I would like to say, uh, just ask because he is, you know, so well known and, uh, and media beyond comics, uh, what is your own, uh, secret origin, uh, with the Hulk, if any, you know, it's weird. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actively watch any Hulk media um, that I remember until I saw the Ang Lee movie. But I certainly went into that movie knowing, you know, all of the basics about the character. And I think it speaks to something about the the character's, like, ubiquity that it's like, you're going to pick up something through osmosis about this guy. Like, you know, I I didn't watch the Bill Bixby Lou Ferrigno series. Um, it is a big influence on this movie in a really cool way. I think they they smartly yeah. um, use that as a touchstone in, in ways that we'll talk about later. Um, but it just sort of seems like I I don't know maybe it's from watching the Spider Man cartoon in the '90s if he ever appeared on that he probably dropped in they all did from time to time I'm sure he did everybody that, did on that show yeah I'm sure I saw it him there somewhere so I again I just feel like. Even if it was just like seeing him on like kids pajamas, like he's like he's the Hulk, like he's just he's an he's an uh, an iconic character. But yeah, it was weird. I, I really don't know where I I first encountered that character or how. I just remember my, I do vividly remember my experience of going to see the Ang Lee movie with our, our mutual friend uh, Dan Oster, and coming out of that movie just scratching my head, going, "What did I just see?" Um, and then I think a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my further knowledge about the Hulk came from after watching that movie going, well, that was weird. I want to learn more about the character though. Obviously this wasn't a good movie, but I want to hear know more about the Hulk. So I went and did more internet research about it so that by the time the, uh, the Ed Norton movie came around, I was more ready for, um, you know, what might be in there. And I was, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, because the bar had been set so low, I was delighted uh, with with this. Um, <laughs> it is certainly much better than the Ang Lee movie. Uh, let's, let, we can, I yeah. think, <laughs> I don't know if there's universal consensus on that, because no pun intended on universal. Uh, universal, please give the rights to Hulk back fully to Marvel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That will be my campaign now. I don't, I don't need to restore the Snyderverse as much as I enjoyed you know, Man of Steel and his Justice League. I need to restore the Gamma-verse. I need yeah. Universal to just be it's like, eh, we're, we're not doing anything with this and you can't do it. So here, as an act of goodwill, have Hulk back. Yeah, to lay out what you're talking about, this is a good segue actually into the production side of things. Um, Universal owns the distribution rights to the Hulk, um, yeah. to Hulk films specifically. So this is why we only got this one standalone Hulk film in the MCU because you know it was the second one made. It was already in production at the same time as Iron Man. So you know they didn't know that they had lightning in a bottle just yet. And so they were probably willing to work right. out whatever deal with Universal they could to make this happen. But once the MCU got really big, I guess either Marvel and or Disney didn't want to spend the money on this to get it back from Universal. But I guess they can still legally put Hulk into any other movie. They can drop him into the Avengers. He can moonlight in Thor Ragnarok as like half of the movie, but it's not technically a Hulk movie. It's got (laughs) Thor in the title. So they don't have to pay. You can't call it Hulk Ragnarok or World War Hulk or Planet Hulk, which it, it basically half of was. that movie is Planet Hulk. Let's be, and not yeah. even the good half of Planet Hulk. But anyway, uh, we'll get around to that. Um, but yeah, so they can't. You can make a movie with Hulk without Universal being involved at all. But you cannot make a Hulk movie, or you can make one, but Universal has to be the one putting it out. Right. Which and yeah. that's just like yeah, that's just a weird. Uh, I think like. Uh, Namor was in a similar situation for a very long time, and I feel like his rights maybe, or the option on that character, lapsed back to Marvel. Or they just have no plans on making a a solo Submariner movie. I mean, you know, we'll see what winds up happening. (coughs) Wakanda forever. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame, but at the same time, they managed to make him work so well in the confines of... And we'll get around to that. I'm I'm jumping. I'm... (laughs) I'm doing what I usually do in my rewatch. I'm skipping this movie entirely and talking about Ruffalo. And we can do that, you know, towards the end. So coming back into pre-production, coming back to the the film's origins. So film's origins, uh, originally, um, Zach, we should start with Zach Penn, I think is probably the the most logical point. So Zach Penn is the credited screenwriter on the movie. He did several drafts of the script for what would ultimately be the Ang Lee Hulk. And... They went to him for this. He wrote several drafts of this script. Um, there's actually a f- two bits in the finished movie that are from something he actually wrote a long time prior, I think for the original Ang Lee Hulk movie, and didn't make it in, but he did manage to get it in here, which is the coitus interruptus scene and the uh, helicopter <laughs> plunge. Uh, th- those were his ideas. Um, but there was a lot of talk about, you know, what are we going to do with this Hulk movie? We want to do a Hulk movie. We want it to be part of the MCU, but what do we do about this Hulk movie we've already made and is, you know, have got a mixed reception, let's say. And they hit upon this idea <laughs> that is, it's so, you, it's very, I was trying to think of other movies that did anything like this, and there's a few, but basically it's not a reboot and it's not a sequel. 
it's a requel or so it's so it's like if you want to watch think, this yeah gail ann heard one of the producers of the movie yeah. i think coined that term for for the film yeah <laughs> which is and, like such wonderful producer speak of like i don't want to alienate people who liked that movie but also not a lot of people like that movie so like let's kind of split the difference uh between the two i love it it's such it's a, mwah, such beautiful semantic portmanteauing i salute you yeah basically what they did was if you want to kind of squint your eyes a bit and pretend this is a sequel <laughs> to the angley movie you can although i think there's stuff in that origin montage at the beginning that doesn't mesh with that movie but basically the end right. of the angley hulk movie ends with him on the run in central or south america which is where we pick up with Bruce Banner at the beginning of this movie. So you can pretend if you want that it's the same character. You don't have to, uh, but they, they did want to do that. Um, they changed the tone a lot. They brought in um, uh, Louis Leterrier to direct, who was best known for yes. the, the Transporter series of films, starring Jason Statham Transporter. as a man what drives a car. Oh, smash. Um <laughs> And he would later go on to direct what I like. I think he's done a lot of middling stuff, um, but I think the uh, the Dark Crystal reboot he did on Netflix was really good uh, and very different from yeah. his other stuff. I thought that was cool. Uh, his his original choice to play Bruce Banner was, if you know, I do not. Would it surprise you to know it was Mark Ruffalo of all people? It would not at all surprise me because I that's. That, that that makes sense. And seeing what Ruffalo has done with the character since then over the years, um, it, it seems such a natural choice. And I remember the Comic-Con where they uh, first announced him. Uh, I was super excited because I've always been a fan of uh, him as an actor. And I thought he has done such... A tremendous job, but also, you know, and I like, uh, you know, Norton seems to have kind of resigned himself over the years to um, his his time on it. You know, there was some contentiousness, you know, like during production and certainly after production and leading into Avengers where, you know, he got replaced and they very publicly disavowed uh, working with him. And I've, it, it really does seem like, and I'm kind of going off on an Ed Norton love hate tangent here that like he's so incredibly talented but for a very probably the ripest period of his career uh you hear so many stories uh from people who worked with him about how difficult he can be or could be to work with in certain regards so it's like you know well you know we got to put up with that to you know deal with the talent and then at a certain point i think like the balance started to shift a little bit and he started to feel like, you know, it's like, Oh, people really don't like working with me. And he seems much more kind of like pleasant and amiable. And, uh, the, the projects you see him in lately and kind of the press he's done for it. And certainly talking about, uh, past films and his experience, even on this one. And sort of, I love the way that he addressed, uh, that Hulk was sort of like, uh, Hamlet for his generation of actors that, you know, everyone's going to take their turn at it. And whether it's him or Banna or Ruffalo, um, that everyone kind of gets to slip into the green skin uh, at some point. And maybe, you know, only three actors having played it in the last couple of decades, maybe isn't uh, fully 
Hamlet worthy, but I liked I liked the thought. I liked the sentiment. And it certainly seemed like he had, if not left the character on good terms, come back around to good terms with the character. Yeah, uh, little, which I really appreciate it. Because yeah. I do think he comes in with a good performance. I don't know what elements were, because he came on then and uh, as part of his deal, rewrote the script. Right. He's not credited as a screenwriter. Uh, for some reason, the, the right. WGA, the Writers Guild, did not credit him. Uh, the explanation I saw was, well, a lot of his past is less plot structure and more dialogue. Um, I don't know why that matters, yeah. but um, you know his, his fingerprints are all over it. I do think it's a little bit of a bummer, actually, because... You know he's such a good actor. I feel like there there should be a place for him at the MCU, but he's used up. You know he's he's done this thing. Um, I think well, could, the multiverse you know, is wide open now, so maybe true. there's a variant of Banner out there, or you know you you've certainly got Mahershala Ali has played a couple of characters. You know you've had people double dip mm-hmm. and do double duty uh, in the MCU at this point. So I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that he could step back in or oh man i just if you had the thing i've always wanted to say and this has nothing to do with the incredible hulk so i apologize but like i i want there to be at some point um from peter david's uh, run that i mentioned earlier there's an amazing story called future imperfect where it's uh the far-flung future of uh the marvel earth and it's kind of this dystopian wasteland um part of which is ruled over by uh, a much older Hulk who is now known as the Maestro. And it's kind of the Hulk living long enough, you know, the uh, the line from Dark Knight, either you die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. The Maestro is pretty much that for the Hulk. So maybe it would be like an interesting turn if in some future project or show or something, if uh, like Ruffalo or certainly uh, we've got uh, She-Hulk coming up kind of just in the gamma family, if they encountered uh, this maestro, but it was either played or voiced or something by uh, Norton instead of Ruffalo. I think that could be an interesting that <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's throwing a little too much shade his way to be. It's like, Hey, come back and play the evil old version of this character. <laughs> but uh, I think he would be, an interesting pick for that. I can think of a few other characters, but like, uh, I think that could be an interesting thing, especially with all the multiversal shenanigans that, uh, have been taking place and are still yet due to take place, uh, in certain, uh, multiverses of madness and otherwise. Yeah. I I think that's an interesting idea. You know, one of the reasons they brought him in, I've I've had this thought to myself, like jokingly, of like, oh yeah, this is the guy you get to play double characters because of Primal Fear and Fight Club, <laughs> and you know that's what he does, right? He, and then I only to yeah. find out on researching that that was the reason he was brought in. Gail and Heard, who you mentioned, had that exact thought and said, well, let's get this guy because he he does this well, and uh, I I think he's. I almost think that like it's a good thing they have him for this film. I don't know that Mark Ruffalo's version of this character works in this film as it's written. No, um, no, 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 that, I don't think so. That character, Mark. But Ruffalo, I think maybe yeah. you have. But like, if but does that is that then what maybe flips it around and like you have to 
I don't know. Maybe Ruffalo gets wasted if he gets cast in this one and, you know, whatever alternate reality where the negotiations go his way and he winds up playing it in this. But because it wasn't, you know, a huge success or whatever, then they still decide to. I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough to think about. But I do think you're right. I think his approach to the character. It was very interesting kind of watching um, What If on Disney Plus uh, last year. There's an episode where uh that takes place there's a scene that takes place during this film and uh they but they have ruffalo both playing the character and the the character is drawn to look like ruffalo's hulk but it takes place in uh the the sequence at uh culver college or culver university i can't remember if it's college university whatever um the and it was so interesting to me to see that because it's like you know oh like hmm this is like retroactively because I feel like there are comments and things in subsequent MCU movies that not necessarily invalidate the canonicity of this film. Though I think this is the first example of what has now become a fairly common argument about what is and isn't canon uh, in the MCU. What was once accepted canon and now isn't and then maybe has become again ongoing debate that Kevin Feige I think just like watches and laughs with uh, maniacal glee. Um, but there are certainly things that are said by other characters, things that are introduced that make this movie not necessarily fit into uh, the timeline as well. So it's got, you know, and uh, again, you can, you know, write that off as, oh, this is, it. things basically happened the same way and, uh, you know, to borrow a phrase from Loki, the sacred timeline. But... Uh, this is just like a little variant version. Uh, so some people look a little different. Some people's motivations are a little bit different. Um, and in the end, I don't think it really matters. Like if you want to have a headcanon that like, you know, oh, this doesn't take place in that main timeline, but the basic things still occurred. Or if you want to say it's like, no, this is 100% canon. Everything that happened in this happened everywhere else. This is it. This is it. Uh, I think that's fine, too. Like, whatever kind of works best. And I, I, I think that's why Feige kind of plays a little fast and loose with his declaring what is and isn't canon, even when it comes to uh, this movie, is that it does leave things a little open to interpretation for the viewer. Um and until they need to cement something, they like to keep, uh, and we, we've talked about this before, that they like to keep the toys in play. Uh, you don't want to limit your options. You, you don't want to block off certain things unless you absolutely have to. It's like you, you want to leave that option kind of open rather than definitively say, like, no, Incredible Hulk is not canon because then you miss out on bringing John Hurt back in. Uh, in Civil War, uh, you miss out on Abomination um, was recently in Shang Chi. Abomination coming right back in, and apparently, yeah, I was, re- and they like actually brought Tim Roth in for Shang Chi to do the grunting, right? For Abomination because he doesn't really have any lines in it, but like you know, he's just kind of like, mm, but they brought <laughs> that they were like, like, hey, come in and do some uh, some ADR <laughs> for this character that you played, and I right. think that's. You know, kind of magnificent. It's like, you know, they, you know, all right, yeah, we're going to use it. And he looks a little different in that movie. And, you know, maybe that's because he 
in you know this version of events you know he became a little more scaly and reptilian like he does in the comics or maybe this is a further evolution as we kind of see throughout this movie um you know, both ways work and until there's a need to answer that question um leave it open i love that i think that's so smart when doing kind of shared universe storytelling especially yeah. with a property that is it entirely in your sandbox? Like, you have the characters and all of that belongs to you, but, you know, Universal still has it. You will not see The Incredible Hulk on Disney Plus anytime soon. Like, you will go and have to seek it out elsewhere because it's not Disney. It wasn't one of the Paramount films uh, from the original uh, run of Marvel Studios films before Disney bought them out. It's, it's not available, but it's still part of it. And like that kind of liminal space where it is and isn't. It's it's the Schrodinger's cat of canon. The <laughs> Schrodinger's canon. And until we open uh, the box, uh, that uh, gamma pellet uh, may or may not have gone off. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor, but <laughs> it's, it's you know, going I, somewhere good. And we're going to put it say, on a t-shirt. I will say that dropping Abomination into Shang-Chi is interesting. Knowing the way that Marvel operates... They like to seed things, you know, they like to like, yeah. we're going to drop a hint here and a hint there and then a bigger hint until finally we hit you with something. And so it's interesting that they, they've now got gone back into this movie, both on What If and in Shang-Chi recently. And of course, they've kept Ross as, as part of the MCU from uh, from this point forward. Um, it, it tells me they have something up their sleeve and maybe it's because they're doing the She-Hulk show. Uh, and they want to bring some of the stuff in there. They, they have announced yeah. that uh, that Tim Roth is coming back uh, for that one as Abomination, uh, okay. and perhaps as Blonsky. Perhaps maybe he can you know turn back and forth, and maybe that's part of maybe it's flashback. And you know, and there are uh, discussions about where She Hulk takes place uh, in the timeline of events that it might be uh, have taken place uh, before the events of Endgame. In which case, Abomination's appearance here. Would could possibly be after, so it's you know okay we've got him here now training with Wong doing whatever they're doing with arena fighting and whatever he might be involved with whether that's some kind of Thunderbolts thing with uh, the Contessa or you know what might be going on we might not know until we see it. and then it retroactively fills in in the She Hulk series and then they can move forward and it's almost like the the fact that they can lean so hard into non linear storytelling. At this point, both uh, internally within a movie, like something like Eternals, but also in their release order of films, you know, it used to be, you know, this is the order of, a, you know, the order of the films come out is the order that the events kind of take place, uh, Captain America aside. Um, but that really did kind of give them a little leeway to then be like, okay, well, no, let's jump back and tell Captain Marvel's story in the 90s. Uh, so there's every possibility that they could even, if they ever got the rights back to Hulk, that they could jump back um, even farther until uh, events set in, not necessarily within this film, but, you know, go back and do a story from before this movie or a story in between this and when he shows up in Avengers. You know, the the possibilities are wide open to them and they are, and they seem very, not only game to them, but playful with them. And that's, I think that's one of the things that this movie is missing for me is it doesn't have that 
playfulness that certainly Iron Man did, but that I think, as we've discussed before, has kind of become the hallmark of the MCU's tone. That, that well, playfulness, that mirth. Yeah. There's certainly epic scope and scale and these, you know, world and cosmic stakes and, oh, the giants in the sky and uh, every half the universe uh, can be snapped away at a, the whims of a madman. Uh, but there's still like, you know, there's banter and there's, you know, affection. And this has, there's an element of warmth between characters in this movie, but there's not a whole lot of charms and it makes the moments that are playful definitely stand out but it's like it's it just it feels very (sighs) it's not it's missing the charm you know a lot of the everything we said about the first iron man was like and the mcu in general is like yeah but what if the character was really clever and charming um and that's true for almost every major character in the mcu there's a level of like clever and charm to them uh, and it's there, like you said, there are scenes where, where Banner does display this, but not nearly as much as Mark Ruffalo does. And Mark Ruffalo is basically yeah. a, the live action version of Mo from the Simpsons. That's what he looks like to me. Um, and so, so he does Banner. So he does Banner. I mean, I've been called ugly, pug, fugly. No, I'm not that, but he's, but he's got that like mop of curly hair. <laughs> Mark and Ruffalo is a very good looking man. I mean, he he's is. got the wiry hair of Mo for certain, but, but I, he's got I would the not... like he's got the like put upon like world weary like sad puppy dog thing, sure. which is weirdly what I'm oh, going yeah, with. Yeah, not yeah, not sure. not Mo being yeah because Mo is described as being uh, just ungodly, um, rather trollish. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, not that at all. Uh, he is, um, <laughs> but. Whereas Mark Ruffalo is put upon and like world weary in a way that's kind of like, you know, odd gee whiz, Ed Norton is more you know, legitimately sad. Um, he's a sad character living yeah. a sad existence. And that brings the movie down a little bit. Not as much as it did for for the Ang Lee version where Bruce Banner is like literally like suffering from serious psychological trauma. Um I think that's a problem with Which, this Which, to character. be fair, the character has. I mean, like, that, that's that's part of his canon and lore. It's just kind of like, how do you... Pro- and, like, you know, oh, let's approach these uh, deep-seated neuroses uh, in a playful manner. And, uh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm coming across as a jaded asshole in that way. It's like, ah, this guy watched his uh, father murder his mother and, uh, you know, is harboring multiple uh, personalities that these gamma rays kind of unleashed. Um, you know, but let's, let's remember to have fun with it. It's, it's a very, it's a delicate balancing act, uh, that the comics have to do, that the movies and shows have to do, and the best of them do it and accomplish it. Um, well, I think Mark Ruffalo uh, though does. Occasionally with a flourish, but in this case, it's just kind of, uh, you know, it, it tips just very far in, in a particular way. Um, I think think the tone feels very flat. Well, with Mark Ruffalo, I think they've backgrounded a lot of that stuff. They don't really bring it in. He's just, you know, his yeah. Bruce Banner is not so, um, you know, he's not carrying that kind of baggage that we can see. Uh, and I think that kind of goes into, like, the Bill Bixby series where, like, you know, yeah, I find that more relatable because, like, I get angry sometimes, you know, and I and I yeah. think about times when I've lost my cool and that's what the Hulk is. It's that fantasy about like, you know, oh man, what if I lost my cool and I turned into the monster I feel like when I'm angry? Um, yeah. But 
I think that can be relatable to everybody without not just people that are walking around carrying these, you know, huge emotional psychic scars. Um, I think and that helps, who among us know. isn't to be fair. <laughs> it's like, well, there's, there's degrees. A, a running theme in the, in the comics. Uh, and I think that, and I think the movie does a, a wonderful job of uh, at least hinting at this as well, but that gamma um, beyond just creating quote unquote monsters. And I think Hulk is definitely one of the most monstrous characters by design. I mean, Stan right. Lee set out to, I mean, he's, he's as much Jekyll and Hyde as he is Frankenstein's monster, as he is the Wolfman in the original comics, he changed into the Hulk at night and the Hulk had gray mm-hmm. skin and it was much more akin to sort of a giant lumbering werewolf, uh, than necessarily the, uh, the simple minded, green skinned, the, the Jade giant that, uh, we all kind of came to know and love that where it's, uh, anger and extreme emotion that, uh, triggers the change. I think that was, sort of the alchemy back then that it was like, you know, oh, well, you know, we're kind of limited if it's just going to be him changing at night. But if it's tied to emotion, then every story has an emotional core and a conflict. And I think that's what has made the character so kind of iconic. And apparently here it's a little more tied into uh, heart rate. Um, But, you know, you you need to have like a, a certain... Gauge and you you need to set the rules up. Um, but each individual who's kind of exposed to gamma um, manifests some aspect of themselves. Some uh, whether it be hidden, whether it be uh, dual identity. Um, you know, we certainly see that uh, play out with Blonsky in the third act of this movie. Uh, we get the hints of it with uh, Samuel Stearns, Tim Blake Nelson's character, who in the comics becomes uh, the, the leader. mind-controlling megalomaniac, the leader, um, who I can't help but think of as having a skeletal voice. Um, and, you know, and there are individuals introduced uh, in this movie who in the comics have been introduced. Uh, Ty Burrell's character, uh, who uh, was... The, the, the psychiatrist, uh, Betty's uh, would-be beau, um, uh, is Leonard Sampson, uh, who turns into Doc Sampson in the comics. Uh, who's this very sort of dashing, sort of pulp hero kind of character that the this kind of nebbishy psychiatrist sees himself as. The abomination turns into a monstrosity. Uh, Hulk's cousin, Jennifer Walters, turns it doesn't turn into... Uh, a savage-minded uh, beast uh, like her cousin, at least not originally, in some of the more recent runs, they've explored that. But she's much more confident and much more outgoing and flirtatious, where she's a little more kind of withdrawn and bookish uh, in her normal life. So there is that aspect of, like, what would you become? And they can they can get into exploring these different psychological phenomena of it and it doesn't really feel like that here here it's just kind of we created this monster and i have to keep my heart rate down um while i'm looking for a cure and it doesn't really and maybe and maybe it is that kind of middle ground because yeah i think the the ang lee one um i think it's not certainly not the only flaw with the movie but the fact that it does get so kind of laden down with 
the 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 psychology of Bruce and his childhood trauma. Um, it's an element of things, and it's something to explore. But here we just kind of get, you know, okay, if he gets excited or angry or, you know, uh, slapped in the face hard enough, um, he he will hulk out. Um, and it doesn't really get as tied into his anger as we eventually see with Avengers and with Ruffalo's take on it. This feels much more kind of maybe, I wouldn't say cold, but certainly clinical in some ways. Um, That's a good word a, for it. You know, a lot of the movie... The narrative momentum of the movie kind of circles around uh, the scientific method. Um, and <laughs> it's like there, and I certainly will never naysay science. And Bruce Banner is canonically a a brilliant scientist, but it's hard to feel the emotional stakes when there's not as much emotion. Um, there is that sadness, but it kind of plays very on one level throughout. So then when the sadness of I'm a monster and want to cure myself in the third act, then suddenly, um, without a whole lot of prompting, turns into this sadness of, well, I have to resign myself to be this monster because this other monster needs fighting. There's not really, you don't feel like there, you've been on that journey. There's not a, an arc that Banner goes on. That I feel like, at the very least. Like, there are some very sweet moments, like you said. You know, it's a collection of some really great moments and some eh, okay moments. Um, into a story that just doesn't hang together narratively, for me at least. Well, with that, let's talk about that story. And maybe we can figure out, you know, yes. where the, you know, where, where it goes right and where it goes wrong a little bit. So, um, I want to talk about the introduction of this movie, but before I talk about the the intro, have you seen the alternate intro? Um, yes, it's been a while since I did, but I do recall seeing it. Um, I, I've I've owned the movie. This is how big a Marvel uh, nerd, and especially MCU nerd, I am. As much as I am griping about this movie, I have bought it on DVD. I have bought uh, it, it digitally. Um, I have. <laughs> watched i've rented it for friends um so marvel's still getting their money from me so i've seen a lot of the <laughs> kind of like deleted scenes and bonus features uh over the years both on uh home release and uh certainly uh praise be to youtube uh for the many wonderful gifts uh it has provided to us uh, so let's talk about this scene that was ultimately not used, but does get checked uh, later on in the Avengers. So um, th yes. this alternate opening, uh, we have Bruce out on a glacier um, and he tries to uh, kill himself with a gun, uh, but he transforms into the Hulk, thus rendering himself bulletproof. Um, and I believe he does like a smash and like we see the glacier kind of collapse a bit. Um we see it, and uh, within the, uh, it's kind of a blink and you miss it moment, uh, and obviously not canon at all because this has been uh, handled differently. But uh, when the glacier cracks, you see in the ice um, Captain America's shield, and that was their first kind of planting the seed of Cap to come. Which this uh, movie does uh, in other ways uh, later on, um, but yeah, in the in that original sequence, uh, there's a if you 
you know, pause it in just the right part. You see uh, that uh, star-spangled shield um, just waiting in the ice, frozen vibranium, uh, <laughs> just waiting to be harvested. And there is a line in the Avengers where uh, Banner says, you know, I tried to put a gun in my mouth and the other guy spat it out. So interestingly, that concept survived, even though this scene uh, yeah. was left on the cutting room floor. So um, pre- I'm glad they cut it. It's an interesting idea. It's I mean, when Mark Ruffalo says that, you're like, oh, man, that that tracks. Um, but yeah. opening your movie with an attempted suicide is so dark. Uh, I I, th- yeah. I think it would have just absolutely been the wrong call to keep that in. Um, but it is interesting. You can, like I said, you can yeah. find it on YouTube. You can, you can seek this out. It, it is an interesting little scene. Um, so let's get into the actual introduction, which is a montage of the Hulk's origin, um, intercut with like shots of things like green cells dividing and stuff. But basically, we see him. He's in the machine. There's the gamma burst. We kind of see some interesting things from his POV, which is cool. Of him, like you know. People yeah. like kind of recoiling as something is rampaging at them. We get shots of which was also the the POV of that uh, that alternate opening, which makes me think like was that going to be a device that they because we never really come back to it in the course of the movie itself. No, there but is it is that, such an interesting yeah. device, and I like it. I like its use here, but I wonder if because its use here and because of its use in that deleted scene. If there was going to be more plans of before we see Hulk, uh, it's all sort of from Hulk POV. Um, well, there, there's that line later. Yeah. Could be interesting, but there's a line later in the movie where she asks him what it what it's like when you're the Hulk, and he just says, "Hey, you remember that ex- that psychological experiment we did with psychotropics? Uh, it's like that times a million. And so I yeah. wonder if there were plans to try and give you more of that, like that sense of like, oh, when he's the Hulk." you know, his vision is distorted or something. And he's, you know, it's now presented in gamma vision. (laughs) Um, But uh, so in this sequence, we see Betty Ross, uh, Liv Tyler's character uh, standing in for um, Jennifer Connelly um, getting uh, menaced. Uh, We see that she is injured at some point. I assume indirectly because what we know the Hulk can do, uh, I think a direct hit would have uh, been out of character and also probably would have killed her. Um, but we get the sense that right. there's there's a manhunt on for him. We see uh, uh, things like uh, headlines that say, you know, people have seen a green Sasquatch. We get some flashes of Stark Industries stuff um, just to kind of confirm the continuity here. Uh, and we've heard there's no sightings for six months or five months of, of the creature. And um, one little cool nod. The we machine- get some like shield memorandum and stuff. It, uh, some some stuff with the uh, Fury's signature, kind of uh, building on, which makes me wonder. You know, because they're developing these at the same time. That you know, obviously, in the aftermath of the popularity of the after credit scene and what it was setting up in Iron Man, if uh, they were then uh, oh put 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 Fury's name in there too, like mm-hmm. people. People like Nick, like get 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 him in there. It's easy enough, in the you know, it's it's a montage. You can you know cut things in and edit, mm-hmm. and up until you know it gets released, you can make as many little you know fine tuning things. This it wouldn't require a huge kind of effect. It's just kind of like oh right, well you know it was sort of this cool little like you got to stay to the end thing to know about Fury, and then like right here at the beginning, it's just like yep, here's Nick Fury, yeah, uh, and I, I like that connective tissue. 
there's other little Easter eggs in here. Um, one nice thing I think is kind of sweet is uh, the the machine that Bruce is in is mm-hmm. very very similar to the Gamma machine from the Bixby show. Um, you know, again, yeah. kind of just showing you like their reverence for that material. Um, and uh, we cut to and kind of the way that a lot of the kind of flashback scenes are shot feels very reminiscent of you know like an older. It feels like it's from the show, and certain shots of it are feel very much like the the opening sequence of the show. Like I, I half expected by the end to have you know Ed Norton's face, and then you know like just half of the other face of the Hulk, you know, coming up. Like you know that's such an iconic shot from that series, and they were borrowing so much, you know, with the machine and kind of like the the way that um, I guess sort of simulated film stock. You know, it makes it feel older it makes it feel vintage um and you know even not even necessarily from the hulk pov but like when banner comes to visit uh betty in the hospital and gets into that confrontation with uh ross there and it's from his pov it still feels very like just older film stock um which i thought was such a cool effect that um I don't think that there's a way they could have necessarily explored it in the movie itself, but I think it's a really cool element here. And um, I think there's so much experimentation and boldness in just this opening sequence that we don't really see in the rest of the film. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think what it borrows most from the Bixby Ferrigno show is just the concept of Hulk as fugitive. You know, that he's, yeah. he's sort of harried from place to place. And I think that that actually works. I think it's a part of the film that works really well um, because, you know, that formula fits the character um, and that will continue up through Avengers. So, um, yeah. But there are more. I think even the you know, opening scene, you know, moving out of the, the intro into the actual you know, him in Brazil working at the plant, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's a young woman being harassed and all that kind of stuff. Like that all feels like it could be an episode from the old show. Like he just, he's passing through, gets a job as a day worker in the factory. This woman's being harassed. He has to kind of handle these uh, jackasses. Um, And, you know, I'm sure there would be some kind of uh, corrupt politician trying to bulldoze the factory and eliminate all the jobs and he'd have to deal with them while befriending it and like by the end he has to leave and in that version there'd be a small child uh, who was sad to see him go um, but it definitely feels like there's like this sort of short film at the beginning that feels very much like an episode of the old show uh, that then sort of all everything else kind of interrupts um, that then you know, Ross and Blonsky coming in to find him uh just so it's like you know okay well we hope you were enjoying that but uh now we have to get to the movie part of the movie yeah (laughs) and i was like but i was really liking the show part um well this is a good a good chance to talk about this how this opens so we open with this shot of a metronome and it says days without incident 158 uh this will continue throughout the movie that we get this counter of uh, you know days since he's turned into the Hulk, and we get a sense of yeah, his his a really day- cool device. I like that a lot. Yeah, we get a sense of his day to day life, uh, living in a favela in Brazil. Um, he's he's you know going about his business. He's trying to learn Portuguese by watching Sesame Street. 
Um, he's learning the word for hungry. With Grover, who is a monster. Uh, and Oh, and he scans right past, you know, one of the many, many Easter eggs and uh, other Hulks who appear in this as he's kind of scanning through the channels comes across a rerun of uh, The Courtship of Eddie's Father starring one Mr. Bill Bixby. Ah. Um, yes, that's that's why he kind of lingers on this old show where uh, the where Bill Bixby gets kind of punched in the face by by the titular Eddie, um, much in the same way that uh, Bruce is about to get uh, slapped in the face by uh, a jujitsu champion. Right, and this is the next thing. One, is of, he the, uh, one to- of the Gracie family. <laughs> yeah, he goes to this guy who is teaching him breathing techniques to try and control his anger. Um, he's slapping him in the face. He does this thing with his abs that is uh, the true body horror of the film. Uh, <laughs> it terrifies me. No CGI um, required. That's no, all that's, Gracie ab right there, man. Yeah, and we're introduced to this concept that he's got this uh, Fitbit uh, on his wrist that shows you what his heart rate is. And we're, you know, you can, they'll also add in his heartbeat into the soundtrack of the movie getting faster and faster as a way of letting you know, okay, if it gets above a certain point, which we'll find out is 200 beats per minute, that's when he hulks out. Um, They've never come back to this concept in the MCU. It's just generally enough to know that he gets angry and it happens. But I like it here as a way of giving the audience a little bit of a, uh, it adds, uh, it adds tension. You know, how, you know, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. Is it going to happen? Um, it gives the audience a, like an actual like touch point as opposed to like, well, I know at some point he's going to freak out. Um, so giving you an actual number helps. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to... That like, sets up the yeah. rules. It, uh, it it establishes exactly, you know, uh, with other, you know, heroes and monsters, you have to know the rules. Um, okay, he can only run, you know, he can run really fast, but he can only run this fast and he can't run over water. Uh, he can, uh, turn into energy, but if he turns into energy, uh, then he has to eat, uh, such and such amount of calories to replenish his physical form. Like you just, you have to establish very quickly. And I, I do like the device, you know, you have the device of the, uh, the day counter, uh, you have the device of, uh, the Fitbit watch that like, it's not all given to you like right up front. Like, you know, Okay, if he gets too excited, if he gets to whatever, uh, then something bad is going to happen. And because of the ubiquity of the Hulk, as you said, you have some idea of what that's going to be. But it kind of it, it doles itself out to you uh, over the course of it. Like, I think the, the movie opens really well. Um, and I think the way that it kind of parcels out um, the rules of the Hulk... Um, at least at this point, I think it does it uh, very effectively and very uh, elegantly. Um, and with product placement, uh, get yourself a Fitbit and know if you're about to Hulk out. Yep. And get yourself a Pinoco Doce, which is the soda. Yes. And he, is, uh, he's at a, he works at this soda bottling plant. We see he's, he's you know kind of a, a technical guy. Like he's, he's kind of a grease monkey. He fixes the machines there. Um, and, um, he, uh, he cuts himself at one point working on this machine and he flips out. He, you know, he makes them immediately, you know, turn it off. He's got to go find wherever his blood landed from this cut. And this introduces this concept that like his blood, because of, you know, his hulkness can't, 
nobody else can consume it. We can't let it get out. It contaminates things in some way. Uh, and we think he got it all. Uh, he, we're pretty sure he got it all, but we are showing a bottle that uh, he, he did not. Um, they're a little bit of a got. And it, it kind of feels to me weirdly like, um, and I'm sure this has been brought up elsewhere, but like on the one hand, it kind of makes me think of werewolf stories and certainly of the kind of original sort of Lon Chaney Wolfman where it's, you know, oh, this is the curse and I have to be alone. And there's always been that element of the character. But I think maybe because of certain aspects I'll bring up when other characters are introduced, but um, almost feels kind of like, and I don't mean to be, certainly not to be insensitive uh, to anyone who uh, has lived with or uh, has had family or friends who've lived with it, but it feels almost like uh, an allegory for uh, for AIDS or for other uh, bloodborne kind of illnesses. The fact that, like, you know, he's like, you know, we have to shut everything down, we have to quarantine, we have to do this, and, like, you know, and that he's got, you know, all the stuff. He's got the little, you know, pin to seal the wound, you know, right there at the ready. Um, you know, that's not something he has to go seek out. He's got it on his pocket. He knows what he needs to have. And it's like, you know, no one can get exposed to this. I have to be so super careful. Um, and I'm not saying that like the movie needed to explore that more. I, I just thought it was interesting. I don't know if other people read it the same way. It could be, uh, just that, you know, certainly I've had, uh, friends in my life, uh, who have, uh, lived with and, um, passed away from, uh, complications due to um, that horrible fucking disease. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just remember seeing that moment and it, it resonated with me in that way, even from that first viewing. Um, and I, I don't know I don't, if you at home, uh, gentle listener, uh, <laughs> had a similar read, know that you are not alone. And uh, if I'm completely speaking out of my ass and I'm the only one who has this, then please know that it will not be the only time uh, in this episode or this podcast that I will speak out of my ass. Well, I think the I think what they're going for and what you're picking up on is just the, the fact that his condition is alienating. You know, that this is uh, we talked about sure. this in the X-Men podcast, right? Your, your superpower can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse, which this is for him. He's yeah. you know, he's a, living as a fugitive. He's got no one in his life. And he, like you said, he's he comes at the ready to prevent something like this from happening um, because he has he knows yeah. that, you know, that's, you know, it puts other people in danger, puts himself in danger. Um, so, you know, you see how this yeah. weighs on the, the, the metal, as we've said a number of times on past episodes or uh, that I've said, certainly uh, the in superhero stories, the metaphor is the literal here, like can't expose people uh, to your blood. Uh, he can't be sexually intimate uh, with his former partner or with any partner as we you know come to see later on in the movies uh and they're definitely shots that uh later on when he's you know after he's hulked out and you know when he's you know kind of weary and got the blanket on him where he kind of looks like uh, certainly from you know films from uh the 90s and 2000s sort of the betrayal not betrayal sorry portrayal of uh people living with uh, AIDS and other virus. Um, or even, uh, there's also an element weirdly of visually at least resembling films of, um, chronic drug use 
um, you know, sort of that that junky look of you know, like after they're you know coming down from, and I, I thought that was. I never knew if that, you know, was intentional because it's almost like it's almost opposite. And you almost think of, you know, is, is hulking out like an addiction? Like if he hulks out, you know, the, the, the again, coming back to the days without incident, you know, uh, he's got his uh, 180 day chip for not hulking out. And then he has an incident and it has to start all over again. Um, there are just a number of. I think really potent metaphors to explore with the character. And they kind of like have these little touches throughout that feel like, you know, it's like, Ooh, there's something else going on here. And then it just, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying you have to spend the whole movie delving into them, but they never really like resonate in that way that, uh, I think superior, uh, superhero movies, uh, find a way to do. Um, I I think this, you know, sort of, you know, yeah, you you have, you know, just sort of like this very sort of like surface level of just like, you know, okay, we're going to have these little kind of touchstones hinting that there are deeper metaphors, but you never really like delve into one in particular, um, which I suppose runs the risk of making it even more laden and weighed down. And again, we come around to Ang Lee's version, but it just, it always feels like there's so much kind of wasted potential moments um, in this movie. Where it's like, oh, that was going to be really cool. Okay, and no, you didn't do anything with it. Um, and maybe that's just me reading way too much into it or trying to find something to cling on to. Of just like, it's like there has to be something in this movie. <laughs> like, there, you know, there Give are far more theme, obvious examples, it. but uh, yes, <laughs> uh, I think there is. I, I, you know, I mean, this does kickstart what is the long MCU arc of this character first learning to live. You know, in this movie, it's all about him fighting being the Hulk, uh, and then learning to ultimately you know, he to live with it, to to kind of you know come to terms with it, to ultimately try and control it, which leads you all the way to Endgame, where he basically you know they merge Banner and the Hulk. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I don't know if it's fully successful or not, but I think that's what they're doing. Uh, so uh, let's see. So we get our scene that is very much like you said out of the Bill Bixby series, where this local guy is creeping on this girl local girl named Martina uh, Banner intervenes because he's a good guy. We, we try, he tries to have a save the cat moment uh, and tells them, uh, you know, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry in Portuguese, <laughs> which is a cute joke. I did look it up. Uh, the words for angry and hungry in Portuguese sound nothing like each other. So th- this joke does right. not actually work uh, in its native tongue, but it's still a fun little moment. And again, a, a direct nod by using the catchphrase from the, uh, the Bixby show. Um, yeah. So he goes home. Uh, he sets up a uh, a computer to contact a Mister Blue over what is like, you know, sort of like ICQ from when I was in college. But it's a uh, some sort of messaging system that we understand is encrypted. And he uh, it's he, internet you know. in a movie, yes. which means it can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can do anything, and it doesn't look like any operating system that ever would or could exist. You know, there's no, no. aesthetic sense. <laughs> um, but anyway, he gets this package that's and a fl- throughout the entire yeah. movie, I love the fact that Mister Blue is just apparently always right there by his uh, computer, ready to receive these encrypted messages because he responds like that. Yes, yes, there is no delay. He never has office hours or anything. He's you know not not busy doing other stuff. Um, so. 
they're they're talking, and what we understand is that Bruce has picked up this uh, flower, and that a dose of it might help uh, cure him somehow. Uh, he combines his blood with yeah. the flower. Um, he, he puts it under a, a microscope. His green blood cells turn red for a minute, but then they like the cells hulk out and break the slide. Um, and I do want to call you know, out real quick uh, as part of his experimental process that he has a a homemade centrifuge like made out of what appear to be bike parts. And it's such a really cool way. I mean, like, you know, yeah, we've seen him in the lab. We've seen, you know, the opening montage. We know this guy and we know he's good with, uh, you know, technology from seeing him in the factory. But it's such a cool little, like, visual cue that, like, this guy is a really good scientist. This guy, you know, can create a lab environment in this little tenement shack out of parts he's scrounged from alleyways. Um, And it's, it never gets really called out. But it's just, it's such a great little, like, visual moment. And I love, like, that's one of my, like, kind of favorite sequences is watching him, you know, mortar and pestle with the pedals. And you see the sort of, the wheels spinning around. Uh, and it's just this weird Rube Goldberg kind of contraption that's, you know, spinning the vial around. Uh, and I, I think it's just, it's so fantastic. And it's such a great moment. Um, and... Yeah, <laughs> I realize that like I'm calling out so much praise for that. Like I'm just gonna be bouncing back and forth. There, there are things I love about the movie and thing, things I'm nonplussed about, and they kind of neutralize each other. Um, but it's just it's such a cool, like not extravagant, not flashy, just like little subtle, wonderful design moments within the context of this uh, greater montage. Yeah, anytime they spotlight the fact that he is first and foremost a scientist. I think they is really cool. They yeah. remind you, like, yeah, he's like a nerdy, like a regular nerdy scientist, um, and he is clever. He is crafty. He's like you said, sort of um, MacGyvering this uh, centrifuge together, and that will sort of serve him well when we see, you know, what buddies he becomes with Tony Stark, who has that in him as well, right? They bond over that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, but here, science he, bros, yeah, science bros. He reports back to Mr. Blue that the experiment was a failure uh, and that he used you know everything he had from that flower and it still didn't work. Mr. Blue warns him, hey, living with gamma poisoning is not safe. Send me a sample so I can help you, which Bruce does, and we'll ultimately find out why that was not a good idea later in the movie. Um, yeah. So we – Cut to the scene. We're sort of intercutting between the Pentagon, where we see General Thunderbolt Ross, uh, and there's a report that someone uh, uh, drank a soda from this factory and it had a little more kick than they were looking for. And this is our Stan Lee cameo. Someone drank that soda. Someone drank it. Mm-hmm. Some some cameo happy guy uh, drank the soda. <laughs> We don't know exactly what it did to him, but we see him, like, drop the bottle in surprise. Um, and I do like kind of that, like, this was enough. Like, that, that, that it lets you know that, like, Banner's existence as a fugitive is very precarious. This one little slip-up was all it took for them to figure out, okay, this guy drank the soda. He had this problem. Where is this soda bottled? It's bottled at this plant in South America. Let's go. You know, we got it. Is literally all it took yeah. for this whole thing to come crashing down on him, which is uh, cool. Uh, I do want to see the deleted scene where Stanley 
uh, hulks out because of drinking the soda and finally gets his wish from the Simpsons episode where uh, he guest starred and uh, tried to hulk out. Um, just to give him that, you know, narrative validation. But I, I think it was just kind of like, yeah, he got poisoned. He, he got really sick and they had to like pump his stomach or something. I'm sure is what it was. But in my mind, I'm like, did Stan Lee become a Hulk? Uh, so we see all these soldiers. They're all like mobilizing to, to head off to South America. And we find out uh, about Emil Blonsky being added to the team uh, on loan from Britain to explain his accent. Um, and he... explain it. So, to, so you get a British actor to play a Russian character and explain that he was born in Russia, raised in England, on loan from the SAS so that he can be in the service of Americans. And it's yeah. just like the plot gymnastics they went through to have a character named Emil Blonsky have a British accent and work for the American military um, always make me chuckle um, and not necessarily in the best of ways. And I love Tim Roth. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he's getting more chances uh, at this character. And I think he does a good job uh, with what's given him in the movie. Um, but yeah, the uh, the character as sort of introduced uh, in the comics, he's a uh, a KGB operative who winds up uh, exposing himself to uh, even more gamma radiation than the Hulk to make himself even stronger. So there is there are some parallels, but it's this kind of strange. Like, did you did, did you have to go through? So many hoops to kind of try to retroactively explain and get an abomination in the movie who doesn't actually look like the abomination from the comics, which is sort of, I think, why it feels to me like such kind of a throwback, even at this point, at this kind of early stage in uh, superhero movies where, you know, we're only, we're within 10 years of... X-Men and Spider-Man and, you know, those things kind of being launched. But it still, it feels very much like elements of that uh, are kind of like, you know, oh, okay, so grab these characters and, uh, oh, his name's Abomination. We'll have some offhanded reference to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, what, he's, he's a lizard guy in the comics? Ah, we, we've got lizard guys and other things. And we can't have two green guys fighting. So uh, he, he'll be a big bony guy instead. Um, and... Uh, but only at the end, because we don't want to have like a whole effects budget used throughout. He's just going to be like a guy who fights him, uh, fights Hulk a few times and feels kind of inferior before we make him the big bony guy. Yeah, they definitely go. I think there was a shorter walk here than the one they took for sure mm -hmm. uh, to make this happen. But as you said, Tim Roth is an extraordinary actor. Um, audiences, I, I certainly yeah. would know him best uh, or most people I think would know him from Pulp Fiction. Um, because he is the guy in the diner at the beginning of the movie uh, having the, the chat with Honey Bunny before they uh, decide to rob the place. Uh, he's also in... Ringo. Uh, yeah, he's also in, uh, uh, what, let me think, uh, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead. Um, a, a lot of really Reservoir wonderful Dogs. Things. Reservoir Dogs, sure. Uh, he is definitely a Tarantino guy. And uh, oh, yeah. a marvelous actor. Uh, so and good. doing a good job here, too. So we're we're told that the goal is to that at least the 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 cover story is that Banner stole military secrets and they want to tranquilize him um, and bring him back alive. 
we cut back to Mr. Blue talking to Bruce, who says, hey, <laughs> good news. Um, there's significant uh, gamma deduct, uh, reduction from what I'm doing, th- this cure I've come up with. Is it a cure? Yes, potentially, but I need more data. And, you know, I need to know more about the, the data from the original incident that turned you into the Hulk. He says, well, that data is back home. Uh, so now we know that Bruce has a goal. It's to get back to the States and get this information. Um, and at that point, we see that there's a team. Uh, the strike team is now setting up to take out Banner in his apartment. Um, and this is our first action and sequence. And we see, I think, like, the... Uh, I think one of my favorite kind of very character-revealing moments as they're outside, as the, trying to do the stealth mission uh, coming in, um, you know, there's a little, you know, kind of, um, or I guess actually once they, you know, break into the apartment and Bruce's, uh, dog is, you know, barking at them and Blonsky just without, you know, any, never you mind, just tranks the dog. And I'm like there. And I wonder if that's, you know, we've, we've talked a few times about the, uh, the save the cat moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if the, the inversion of the trope is shoot the dog. The trank the dog moment. Um, I think yeah, you're right. The, well, yeah. I mean, he shoots the dog with a trank. And, you know, it's not, but yeah, it's, I think if they had him outright murder <laughs> it, the it, dog. It, it did, it did strike me as like, you know, oh, right off the bat, we know like, okay, this guy is, you know, ruthless. And there's an element of, because it's like, because we love dogs. And that we have seen that this is a good boy. And <laughs> he's the one who kind of gave Bruce the little... Heads up that there was something untoward going on outside the apartment. And uh, I think, you know, Tim Roth is very lucky that that was uh, Bruce Banner's dog instead of John Wick's. Um, Because the entire Pentagon would be in ashes now. And as we know from the Ang Lee Hulk, dogs cannot always be trusted. Uh, (laughs) That is true. (laughs) This could have been a very different angry dog uh, for sure. Very and, and you wouldn't like a good boy when he's angry. Yeah. So this leads to... I definitely don't like a good boy when he's angry. No. Uh, we see that uh, Banner, though, has pulled a Ferris Bueller. He's put a dummy in the bed uh, where he should be. Yes. And this leads to a chase that I've labeled in my... I mean, this is straight out of the Bourne Identity, that series. Like They're just sure. running through a, uh, the favela, uh, which is like... It's like th- think of like a shanty town on top of a shanty town on top of a shanty town. It's just a series of these like small shacks um, in Brazil, and so he's you know and it's a cool location shooting. It's really gorgeously shot, just the like the location that they're in. But all I can hear all throughout the sequence, as awesome and dynamically as it's shot, um, because the office has ruined so many things for me, is every time they jump from a roof to a roof, all I hear is hardcore parkour. Yeah. And someone has to have put that edit together at some point. Well, this was, sequence yeah. with the... well, we're in the middle of the aughts, which was like peak parkour time in movies. We, you know, I mean, this was like the thing yes. to put in. And so, yeah, Bruce Casino is right Royale. And like you said, with the Bourne movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. This is like, well, we got to have the Hulk do parkour. It's like, well, the Hulk does parkour. Then it's going to destroy everything. It's like, All right, That's then true. Banner can do parkour. Banner. And we do see him, ch- you know, looking at his watch from time to time. You know, like his heart rate is up, but not quite high enough. Um, so they're, they're chasing each other. Um, he's wearing a bright red hoodie, which is, you know, not very inconspicuous. 
as he is trying to run. But uh, you know, he he they do a good job of making this kind of a cat and mouse. Like he he pops out into like a, you know a side street and he looks around. And you think he's safe for like just a second, and then like Blonsky appears at the end of the street. They they do a good yeah. job. Like this is I think this is a well shot chase sequence. Uh, oh yeah 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 I agree. I think like Bruce is sort of environmental awareness you get a sense of like you know he's been here for a while and he's sort of mapped out the escape routes like he's ready to go because he'll like jump through one thing and a highly trained soldier comes following uh behind him through a sheet and then just falls down into an alleyway and it's like you know yeah bruce knows that that's there and he's like all right i'm gonna go through like you know on the other side of that sheet there's a you know steep drop off i can make the leap but the guy's gonna and like the way he kind of sort of leads them astray and gets them, you know, and like, you know, and yeah, well, you know, he doesn't lose them entirely. These are, you know, trained operatives. Uh, you know, we don't want to have him game them entirely, but you do get a sense of, because it doesn't seem like, you know, luck to me. It seems like, no, he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He had that rope right at the ready, ready to climb down the window, ready to get out. Um, apparently his, uh, coworker lives right downstairs from him. Um, and, uh, very sweet moment, I think between the two of them, since they didn't, since the episode got interrupted, we have to say, it's like, and it's like, well, Hey, thanks for uh, being a guest star on my episode. I'll give you a quick kick, kiss on the cheek. And then, uh, I have to go do more parkour with, uh, Tim Roth and friends. Right. So he runs into the fa- back into the factory and, we think he might have a chance to get a breather, but the uh, the toughs from before kind of menace him here. And I always like when this happens in a movie where it's like, oh, no, not now. Like, you know, we can deal with this threat, but now is the worst possible time for these guys to show back up because um, shit's yeah. getting real. And he's trying to warn them off. He's saying, you know, me angry, very bad in Portuguese. We see the heart rate going up, you know, uh, they uh, and then there's a transformation. We, we get he finally we see his eyes turn bright green for a second and i like this next part so we he hulks out um but we don't get a great look at him for a lot of this this is shot like a horror movie yeah. like you said um you know yeah. we don't really watch him transform we mostly see him in the shadows we see like people are standing around and then like an object gets thrown at them um so we're we're just getting gl- little glimpses of the hulk and what he can do which I think does a lot to set up one that he is threatening, but also the thing that he, you know, the, Bruce is not in control of this at all. Um, this is what the Hulk is doing is not Banner being strategic as a stronger version of himself. Um, this is the Tasmanian devil, right? This is, this is a, yeah. a liability. Which is why I, I think the choice to have him speak here. Um, is one I I think weakens that moment of ha- having just that little sort of breathy leave me alone. It indicates that there is an intelligence, there is a persona behind it, um, which makes him you know sympathetic. And I think that's probably the reason that they do it. They don't. They're like, oh well. And it's the difficulty I think inherent to making a solo Hulk story is you're having to tell. Uh, what is essentially a, a monster story while also telling a hero story. And those two in film, uh, a lot of times over the years, um, 
aren't always uh, the most successful to merge together as genres. Um, I think there have been really excellent examples of it uh, in the years since. And there are certainly uh, good examples of it uh, prior to this. But it's like, so you want to feel, it's like, okay, so is the monster sympathetic? Um, but also we have to present him violent here. So in an aggressive way. So he has to be provoked, which means we have to show that he wanted to be left alone even after he changed into it. And it's like, I think we have been with Banner enough at this point that you could have just had Hulk kind of rampage in the shadows for most of the sequence and have it feel legitimate because so many of the shots and so much of it, it's legitimately scary. It's a very well shot sequence. It's just there are like little choices. And I think that maybe that's what is the underlying problem of the movie uh, as we're seeking it out is that there are a lot of small choices, little half measures where they're not fully committing to a choice that make it feel, you know, non-committal. Make it feel like, you know, it's like, okay, well, am I... Am I rooting for him in this moment? Am I rooting for, you know, it's like, he's been trying to avoid becoming this thing, but now this thing is fighting the bad guys, but are they the bad guys? Because they're, you know, the guy, and they certainly have been, you know, lied to about this mission. So, um, you know, who really is, and like, it just doesn't feel like there's a commitment or follow through as like wonderfully shot as this sequence is and is legitimately frightening. As it is, I think there are just, you know, just those little half measures, those little half steps that when you don't follow through on something and you kind of, you, you hold back. It's like uh, to borrow uh, from martial arts uh, parlance, you know, like when you're, when you're breaking boards or breaking bricks, uh, you know, the advice that's always given is like follow through, punch as hard as you can. If you punch at the brick, all you're going to do is break your hand. If you punch through you might hurt your hand, but you're also more likely to, you know, go through the brick as well. And they're like, they just, they never really go through the brick in a lot of moments. And I think there's so much in the sequence that could be so much more potent um, and really deliver what it seems that they're going for, but doesn't land with the impact that it could. Yeah, because it's, they're it's, holding back. It's close, but not quite. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. But maybe it's because, like you said, most of these soldiers they don't really have it coming. They're not. We haven't seen them as bad guys. They're in. They're opposed to our hero, but they're not evil. And so you know, it's like, yeah. man, I, this guy does not deserve to have his face caved in by you know the Hulk. And the Hulk to be a hero shouldn't be caving in. You know our, our 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 American heroes here. You know he just needs to escape. Yeah. Um, I do think they do a good job of setting up, you know, just how powerful he is, and you know what what a danger he is to be on the loose. And we also set up Br- Blonsky's kind of like crush on the Hulk, uh, the, his his admiration. <laughs> you know that he's enamored with that kind of power and destructiveness. They have a quick little face off before the Hulk just kind of tears off through the factory wall, Kool-Aid man style, uh, and is gone. Which leads to the scene where Blonsky, he gets Banner's backpack. Um, he wants to talk to Ross, 
you know, about uh, he sees there's a picture in there. He's asking Ross if that's his girlfriend. Uh, Ross says that she's not a factor. Of course, not letting on that this is his daughter. Uh, and right. Blonsky wants to talk. He's like, Which, hey, it seems to be a scientific article that you would think like if she if it's a picture of her like from this periodical underneath it, like wouldn't there be a caption with her name? And wouldn't that name maybe clue? <laughs> Your Lonsky name's Ross. That, yeah. There's a lot of Rosses. That's true. That's true. We do at least have one other Ro- Everett K. Ross in the Black Panther movies, yeah. who at, to this point has not been revealed to have any familial relation to uh, Thaddeus or Betty. Uh, so, you know, yeah, it is a fairly common name. But at the same time, you would think like, you know, Blonsky, trained soldier, observant type. Uh, Mike could maybe, you know, pick up on that. It's like, why isn't it just a picture of Betty? Like, it's very clearly, like, torn out of, like, a scientific journal or something. Yeah. And uh, I like here what he... I don't know. Uh, a, again, little things. Yeah. <laughs> That's very nitpicky of me, I know. But it's always like, isn't that a... Okay, all right, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I like the way this is handled here where, you know, Blonsky is rightly saying, shouldn't we be talking about what just happened? This was crazy. You know, that's the most powerful thing I've ever yeah. seen. We need to catch Banner so we can ask him about that thing. And Ross finally says, yeah, that is Banner, uh, that thing. And anyway, y'all did a good job. We're all going home now. We can see the disappointment in Blonsky's face because uh, now they got to wait yeah. for another new lead to, to track Banner. And, and uh, we see Bruce waking up in the jungle. Uh, we're back to Days Without Incident 1. And uh, he is now hitchhiking. And he can't pick up – he first runs into trouble trying to catch a ride because they don't speak Portuguese. And it is revealed that he's down in Guatemala. And I did a little research. Yeah. That's like 3,000 miles from Brazil. Like, so he went far as the Hulk before he transformed I back. mean, Hulk can leap – I mean, like, in every version that has ever been presented of the character, one of his sort of running powers throughout uh, beyond, you know, super strength and invulnerability and everything – is that he can leap very, very, very far and can kind of control his descent trajectory to a certain extent uh, to avoid crashing in populated areas. Uh, again, trying to thread that needle of, he's a monster and a force of destruction, but he's a good guy. Um, and so, yeah, he very much could probably, a, f- a few bounds uh, of, of Hulk leaping, um could uh, take him from the one continent to the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we get a quick scene of uh, Blonsky and again Ross talking about you know how weird this was and we need a better team to take this guy down. Um, before we cut back to Bruce and who is you know he's on you know he's in the street he's begging. We hear um, the sad Hulk music from the Bixby Show, which is kind of nice. Uh, like, the I'm Lonely Man away. theme, sweet Lonely one of the man. greatest. TV themes of all time. I love the Lonely Man theme. It's one of my favorite, favorite pieces of music. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect way of saying, like, yep, he's, he's back to being sad and he's on the run again. Uh, just like it does in the TV yeah. show. I, that's a great nod. Um, he goes to buy pants. He needs moss stretchy pants. Moss stretchy. So good. And he uh, measures <laughs> He, he measures it against, uh, he sees a person who's uh, a little on the plus side. He's like holding up the pants to see if it would be right. Um. <laughs> hey, you got a Hulk butt. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is probably the, you know, the hardest thing is you got to find pants that fit you at both sizes, which is uh, tricky. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to Ross, and now we're getting some more substance here. Um, he he directly says there was this super soldier program from World War II, which we'll later see is, is you know, the Captain America program. Uh, he, you know, there Project was efforts Rebirth. to, yeah, there was efforts to revive it and that Banner was brought in to work on this, although he was told he was working on radiation resistance and he tested it on himself. We're told something went very wrong or very right. And he asked Blonsky, well, how old are you? Which is one of the things that gets retconned in Avengers. When we uh, come back to him in Avengers, when Coulson is giving, uh, Cap the rundown, on Banner and on the Hulk, um, says that Banner was trying to unlock, that like it was intentional that he was trying to unlock the super soldier serum using Gamma. Um, and that's always interesting to me, like trying to reconcile Ross's account of things with Coulson's account of things. And both of them are to some extent, both in and of themselves and their sort of respective audiences in those moments, not necessarily the most reliable of narrators. So, uh, you know, I don't know that it's ever been super firmly established since then, or if, you know, like sort of Avengers trumps Incredible Hulk in canon, but whether or not Bruce actually knew about uh, Super Soldiers or Project Rebirth or Bioforce Enhancement... Yeah, Super Soldier is a bit of a simplification. <laughs> I love I it. Like it's it. like you know, oh, we're gonna call out immediately that it's Super Soldiers, and then like Ross, like you know, yeah, yeah, that's what it was, uh, but but not really, because but you shouldn't know that word. So anyway, let's go over here and talk more. Uh, yeah, Blonsky reveals. He says, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm 39. Uh, the years have not been kind to me. He, he's Probably because in real life, Tim Roth is about 46 <laughs> when this uh, yeah. was shot. But yeah, he you know he looks it and he wishes he was 10 years younger. And Ross says, well, I can arrange something like that. Uh-oh. And uh, we now cut to 16 days later. Uh, Banner is sneaking onto the campus at Culver, I think, University. And he's trying to find yeah. Betty. He, he looks her up. He uh, watches from a distance. Uh, he thinks he sees... Uh, um, trying to think, but he sees a, I wrote it's a Baxter uh, which is Ty Burrell's character and a Baxter is a film term kind of like a MacGuffin um, a Baxter is like the guy the, the other guy that the, the female lead is dating who we know she shouldn't be dating that yes. guy she should be dating the hero so that's the Baxter right the, the other boyfriend um I had never heard that term before. That is that is very very funny to me. <laughs> yeah, I forget where it comes from. Cuz I've seen them in so many, yeah. I, is this I think a, like I just yeah. and it's come to have a different connotation now, but uh certainly not how I, but like growing up whenever I would see a character like that in my mind, not even thinking about like alpha male versus anything, but like in my mind it would always be it's like okay, that's the beta. Yeah. Like, and I don't know where I got that. And like beta male, of course, has a very, you know, kind of different and slightly loaded and nonsensical, uh, incelly sort of, uh, connotation to it now. But, but it didn't back then, I swear. And that's just always, but, but yeah. I'm glad to know that I have a replacement term 
which is going to be very funny when the Fantastic Four are introduced into this universe and are living at the Baxter building. Full of of boyfriends (laughs) waiting to be replaced by protagonists. Um, So, yeah, that's a Baxter. That's like, you know, the guy that Meg Ryan is dating in uh, Sleepless in Seattle before she winds up with Tom Hanks. Like, that's a Baxter. Uh, so yeah. we, we got uh, Greg Kinnear, I'm pretty I, sure. I, or that, that was who I thought of. Yeah, it's been a long time since I saw that. Uh, uh, Carrie Elwes in Liar Liar, uh, the guy in both of those terrible Venom movies, uh, the who is also a uh, is it, no, he's not a psychiatrist. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I was like, but yes, that, that I was, is the suddenly back. realized I was like, wait, is Venom just the Incredible Hulk, but like worse? Yeah. I mean, there's aspects of that, yeah. There's, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, when when we get around to Venom, I might uh, revisit this uh, theory because if I'm gonna have to rewatch that piece of shit, then um, I'm gonna need to pretend that it's uh, for academic purposes. <laughs> I I I will say I kind of like that movie, but only in the same way that I like The Room. You know, like there's just nonsense in it that's you know, <laughs> enjoyable. Anyway, um. So we go to Stanley's Pizza. We under, we, we kind of get, you know, he, we understand that this is like a hangout or was for Bruce. And uh, he... Stan Lee's Pizza? What? Uh, so the owner lets him what? in. Yeah. Um, owner is played by uh, uh, Paul Souls, who uh, voiced uh, Bruce in the uh, aforementioned or afore alluded to uh, 60s Hulk series. So, again, same as uh, with Bixby and uh, another uh, figure we'll meet later on. We are bringing, we're bringing all the Hulks in, um, except for Eric Bana. Eric Banner doesn't get to come play. No. No, he had his time. Uh, <laughs> he had his time. You had your chance, Eric Banner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Go be but- handsome in Australia and somewhere else. So the owner lets him have the room upstairs, and he lets him know... You know, he says, you know, Betty doesn't know he's there. And uh, and he tells uh, Stanley tells him, you know, the guy she's with is an OK dude. You know, he, he's a good person, which I he turns out he is. And I really, really, really like that, because when you have a character who is, as we talked about, a Baxter, the shortcut is they're a dick. And like, well, of course, we got to get them yeah. out of the way. Or you know, not only or they're worse. They're you know they're actually kind of a minor antagonist, and they're gonna you know he would run off to tell you know the authorities that Bruce was there or do something. But he's not like he's a decent guy, and having your love interest be with a decent guy instead of your protagonist actually makes the stakes kind of matter a little more for her. As opposed to like, well, of course she's gonna eject this asshole. We're all waiting for her to do it. Why would this person who's ostensibly smart even be with this guy? But instead, it's like, yeah, he matters. Like, he's a reasonable, decent person who didn't do anything wrong, you know? And even when he does later on tell, you know, he he does kind of rat Bruce out. Um, And then afterwards you see, like, he legitimately regrets it. And he kind of calls Ross to task on um, everything that he's done wrong and the reasons that he's alienated Betty um and Ty Burrell it's interesting to me because before this movie everything I remember seeing Ty Burrell in and he's always been a very enjoyable very talented performer um but like he was one of those guys who always got cast 
um, as a dick um, in in movies before this uh, and in shows before that. It was always kind of like kind of smarmy, kind of arrogant, uh, and he was really good at playing it. But then, like, he comes into this, and admittedly, I had uh, a whole other. Uh, kind of baggage coming into it uh, based on my uh, enjoyment of Doc Samson uh, from the comics, who is very different, um, certainly uh, by the time he eventually exposes himself to Gamma and becomes uh, super strong himself. Um, but like, I'm sitting there watching Ty and I'm like, and I'm waiting for that turn. I'm waiting, like you're talking about, I'm waiting for him to be a dick for him to have that turn. And so, and it's like, no, by the end. Yeah, actually kind of like that. And like, okay, if there were more Hulk movies, I would definitely want to see this guy come back and get really long, awesome green hair. Um, and instead he, uh, went and ruled on modern family for the longest time as a very likable, you know, schlubby character. And it was like, this was really, I don't know if it was for anyone else. I don't know if it was for casting directors, but this was kind of my turning point from seeing uh, Ty Burrell as unlikable dick to like, oh, you're a sweetie and I want to see you succeed. Yeah. Even if that involves like failing upwards or, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to root for Ty Burrell from here on out. Um, and I thought that was uh, very interesting. I don't know if I, if I was alone in that or because it, it felt like the perception on him and the, his, the kinds of roles he got cast in really shifted after this. And I don't know if it was a direct correlation. I'm not saying that was just how I perceived it. So, yep. uh, so the plan is for Bruce to sneak into the campus by uh, bringing in some pizzas and acting like a delivery guy, which he meets the security guard yes. played by Lou Ferrigno. TV's Hulk. Uh, Hulk. A, a very Hulk, cute yeah. hat trick. Hulk cameo. Everything is is set. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. All the Hulks. Yeah. Except for Eric Bana. And he's it, it's a very cute little scene, and you can read the meta in in the text of the dialogue that they say to each other. But he says something like, "God bless you, partner." You know, it's it's very sweet. Yeah, it's like yeah, he tells him, "You're the man," and he's like, "God bless you, brother." And it's. Yeah. <laughs> And now all I can think when I hear Lou Ferrigno talk is him in uh, I Love You, Man. I put him in a sleeper hold. <laughs> Choked him out. Um, but no, he's but he's not. The, and he's Lou Ferrigno in that movie. Here he's a security guard. But yeah, it's very meta of them. So it's this like, you know, sort of mutual Hulk admiration society. Right. Uh, so he goes into the old lab. And apparently I was reading, I don't know how entirely accurate, because I've heard, you know, like differing accounts, but uh, that Ferrigno had, you know, for the, like, three spoken lines that uh, Hulk has in this movie, that uh, that Ferrigno at least lent his voice, uh, if not voiced the character directly, lent his voice into the mix of voices that, you know, became uh, the lines of Leave Me Alone, Betty and Hulk smash, I think are the three things uh, he says. Um, and stop it. Uh, Doug, this is where we got disconnected. I think. Okay, here we go. Yeah, we're good. 
I'm not sure uh, what that okay. affected. We'll edit it. Sorry, I think that, that I think that was a problem on my end. We have a little internet hiccup um, every night around midnight, <laughs> and I didn't think it, it would affect it. I, I was like, you know, oh well, it's on my phone. I, I thought it would be running off of my data or phone or whatever, so I didn't think it would affect things. I apologize. I should have given you a heads up about that. No problem. Um, we'll we'll edit that out. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Baba Booey, Baba Booey, Howard Stern, Baba Booey. Yes. Bruce goes uh, into the old lab. So, uh, oh, Lou Ferrigno. Getting back into the Ferrigno of it. Yeah, uh, yeah I had heard that um, that Lou Ferrigno had, uh, if not voiced uh, the Hulk's kind of three lines that he had, spoken lines. He does a lot of grunting and shouting throughout the movie. But, you know, three actual verbal lines, which are uh, Leave Me Alone, Betty, and Hulk Smash. Uh, that Ferrigno had, uh, if not voiced himself, lent his voice into the mix. Or perhaps, maybe, maybe he just recorded a scratch track or something. Um, but yeah, I was reading somewhere that uh, that he was involved uh, in that whole process. Uh, which I yeah, thought I, was I, I heard he did that. Interesting in kind of a fun way. Of, yeah. Good. Well, if we both heard it, then yeah, it must be true. It has to be true. That's it. We we both read the same uh, sources. So. <laughs> Why would the internet lie to me? It's Never. <laughs> All right. So Bruce goes into the old Never. lab. He has a flashback of of working there. Um, there is a quick scene or quick moment where like we see that he kind of finagles his way in with pizza, and so there's like a student sitting behind a computer who holds up a slice of pizza and goes like, "Ah, eh? idiot." That actor goes on to be Peter Parker's teacher. In the uh, yep. the John Watts Spider Man movies, and it was confirmed Mr. by Harrington. Kev- Mr. Harrington. It has been confirmed that this is in fact Mr. Harrington as a young college student. So yep. he's playing the same. Uh, played by one of my uh, I love him so uh, Martin Starr, who I've loved since Freaks and Geeks. Uh, he's so understated and hilarious, and just good at playing downtrodden um, and. And it's so weird because, like, because I knew him from Freaks and Geeks. So, like, this sort of and there's there's a longer deleted scene involving him and uh, the the exchange of pizza. Um, but it was so random to me that he uh, just sort of had this mo- just flash on screen. I was like, that's Martin Starr, and he's not like a huge name celebrity or anything. But like, he was on TV and he's been in a lot of like fairly successful you know comedies before and since then and it it struck me as odd and i think it struck a lot of other people as odd as well because there was a prevailing fan theory for a long while um and i never figured out where it came from other than the compulsion that this character has to matter that uh he was actually amadeus cho who was a character in the comics uh a very young uh, Korean character in the comics mm-hmm. who uh, becomes a so the, the Hulk has a long-standing tradition of uh, young sidekicks that uh, kind of follow him around, defend him to the authority, sort of uh, help him out. Uh, Rick Jones uh, was the original uh, who has had his own very storied career uh, in the the Marvel Universe and has yet to appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Amadeus Cho was the, I think, the official word was, he's the seventh smartest person in the world. 
And that was when he was like 12 years old. He's older in the comics now. He uh, did a brief stint as the Hulk himself. Um, and uh, he now goes by the na- the superhero alias Braun and is a founding member of the Champions. Uh, or at least the most current incarnation of the Champions. Um, and it struck me as very odd. I was like, you know, okay, yeah, it would be really cool for Amadeus show to be in a a Hulk movie. I'm, I'm a big fan of the character and everything, but Martin Starr is not Asian and he's not young and he doesn't appear to be those things, which at that time were the two truly identifying characteristics of Amadeus Cho. I suppose the fact that he was wearing glasses in a computer lab might lead someone to believe he is an individual of intelligence, not maybe not necessarily the seventh smartest person in the world, but it always like that. I've heard that theory so many times since this movie came out from other people. He's not credited as Amadeus Cho or Amadeus or Cho or a C whatever. It's just, he has this little flash of him holding up a slice of pizza and enough people that it has persisted over the years took that to mean that this white college student was playing an Asian 12-year-old. But Jordan, Which so few people I... have glasses and like pizza. I mean, it really narrows it down. <laughs> <laughs> You're, well, Amadeus doesn't even wear glasses. <laughs> it's like there's nothing... Tied to this character, like yeah, I just I never got it. I was like, why do you think Martin Starr is playing a Korean preteen yeah. in this movie? It makes no sense to me. And I just I like I've held that in for so long, and now finally, I, I have to share with the world anyone who thought Martin Starr was Amadeus Cho. What the hell is wrong with your brain? And thank you for listening to our podcast and keep tuning in. Yeah. Uh, Bruce looks for the data. <laughs> it's okay. Bruce looks for the data. He can't find it. It's not there. He tells Mr. Blue that the data is gone, and Blue says, I, I can't help you without it. There's nothing I can do. So what now? I yeah. got to keep moving. Uh, again, very incredible Hulk TV show, right? He's got he's to keep moving. You know, uh, got to go find that one-armed man who killed my wife. And um, <laughs> It's a different Bill Bixby show. Right. Very different Bill Bixby show. <laughs> Uh, so we see Betty and, uh, and, uh, her boyfriend having dinner, Doc Sampson having dinner, uh, at the pizza joint. And as they're doing that, she, for a brief minute, gets a glimpse of Bruce in, uh, in the kitchen. And, you know, we see, you know, she, he thinks, oh no, maybe she didn't see me. She definitely saw it. Like she goes into slow-mo. You know, it's just so like, holy shit, she can't believe what she just saw. He runs out. He's hiding behind a dumpster. Um, She doesn't spot him. And uh, she goes back in to tell Stanley, you know, tell me that I saw what I thought I saw. And um, we then cut to Banner. He's walking in the rain. Again, very Bill Bixby. Uh, She spots him and they just run together. You know, she's screaming, don't go, you know. I want you to come with me. And they're, they're back together now. That's it. 
Sorry, Phil Dunphy. You're, you're out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ty Burrell is sitting back at the pizza shop like, she said she was coming back, right? <laughs> like, just imagine that scene of him and Stanley sitting there like, she's a, she was my ride. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, um, so, um. Poor, poor, poor Doc Sampson. Yeah. Uh, so we finally get this reconciliation between, um, between Bruce and Betty. And we find out she, she has the data. She kept it, hoping you know something that they could they, they could learn something from it uh, someday. And her father doesn't know that she has this. They haven't spoken for years. Um, so the plot is moving along pretty at a good clip now. Uh, we cut to Ross opening a vial of frozen super soldier serum. I believe is one of them labeled uh, S Rogers or something. You know, just further kind of driving home. I think. Uh... One one of the tanks, at least, um, or maybe the crate the tank was in. I'm trying to remember. I literally just rewatched the uh, this, and I, I don't remember. But I know it's included as an Easter egg somewhere in the sequence that it is labeled as uh, Project Rebirth. Uh, I don't know if there's an S. Rogers. I might have missed that, but yeah, maybe somewhere on the. But I think also because this is supposed to be the uh, the serum that Ross was working on, because of course er- Erskine's serum is gone. Like it was. The, the one vial of it was destroyed. Uh, so they wouldn't have the original Super Soldier Serum. This w- this gets alluded to when uh, Ross is telling Blonsky about um, the work that Banner was doing uh, without knowing that he was working on Project Rebirth, that uh, Ross had other things in the works. And Blonsky, uh, you know, alludes to that and says, oh, well, you know, one of those other things. Uh, so I think this... I would be surprised if this had, um, I mean, of course, you know, Captain America hadn't uh, debuted yet. Uh, they hadn't established the events of that film or, you know, the, the things that happen in uh, subsequent films and in the Agent Carter show. Um, so, like, uh, you know, some retroactive wiggle room, if it did have S. Rogers on it, I think, you know, could be easily... It was it was Sam Rogers. He was a, a volunteer who came in. Um, but I think I think the implication here is that this was one of the alternate uh, super soldier projects that Ross had been developing in tandem, unbeknownst to Bruce, but at the same time as Bruce was working on uh, the uh, gamma infused serum. Yeah, this, and this is the this is the delta infused serum. It's it's a, it's a totally different variant. Mm-hmm. It's 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 Omicron serum. Am yeah. I am I being too on the nose now? Am I? Yeah, the, <laughs> this has come up multiple times uh, in the MCU now with this concept of um, you know the, the super soldier serum being recreated and getting into the wrong hands. Um, this becomes a, a pretty. Yeah recurring through line recently in the Falcon in the winter soldier. It was a big part of that. And, uh, I, they're not all coming to me at the moment, but I know this keeps coming up over and over again. It's people are trying to replicate what happened with Steve Rogers. And of course the secret is you can't because there's only one guy in the world like Steve Rogers. He's one of a kind. Um, uh, so we get back to it with, um, you know, Bruce and Betty or, you're talking about what are they going to do? It's you know it's not safe for him to stay. He needs cash, um, but they they kind of go to sleep in different rooms, and uh, you know she's teary. You know she's this is, this is a lot going on for her uh, all at once. 
And we go back to Blonsky, who is getting a low dose of this serum. And we're told that at the first sign of any side effect, uh, we're, we're cutting him off here uh, until he's off the team, until he straightens out. And uh, they are, we're told these injections will hurt. And it looks like they really hurt because he says, like, one of them has to go oh, yeah. into the bone marrow or something in his spine or something awful like that. Um, but he gets it. Uh, we get Banner and uh, Betty are walking uh, on campus and he they spot the military and tells her to run. And this leads to our second really big action sequence of the movie, this, this um, fight at Culver University that starts with Bruce basically being cornered in this glass tunnel uh, that's filled with, you know, some kind of gas, tear gas, knockout gas, whatever. I assume it's, yeah, I assume it's supposed to be like knockout gas because they're trying to like uh, apprehend him. Right, they don't want him to hold Unconscious. Out. Yeah. Right, exactly. Work. Yeah, they, they're like, you know, okay, isolate him and then knock him out. Like, you know, but, you know, because, yeah, I would think if it was like, if, if they'd done like tear gas or some kind of irritant or something, it might have triggered uh, an event. And, you know, as, as it stands, they didn't need to worry about that because... Uh, don't, don't tackle Hulk's girlfriend. Um, yeah. If you don't want him to, you know, Hulk out like, and it, it's sort of, <laughs> it's such a like little moment of, and it seems to happen throughout that, you know, a plan will be going pretty well. And then Ross will just make some little decision that winds up, you know, just backfiring in a huge way. Like Betty starts running. She's never going to reach him. He's all the way across there. And he has to say to one of his soldiers, like, go get her. And if he hadn't done that, Bruce probably would have just, like, breathed enough of the gas in to fall asleep. But seeing her in... In danger. Mild discomfort. It's not even like she's in peril or, like, someone hit her or something. It's like she got grabbed and kind of, like, fell. Like, maybe she got a grass stain on her nice pantsuit. But it's like... It doesn't feel like something... That should prompt the response that it does. Yeah. Part of it is... Um, but then have, it leads to a really great action sequence. It does. Um, it, we should say before he gets caught in this tunnel, uh, part of the problem is that someone has jumped the gun on whatever this plan is to grab Banner, which prompts him. Okay, well, yeah. someone jumped the gun, so now we got to go in like, you know, all right, we're all in now. Fuck it. And uh, probably Vlonsky, from what we understand, he's, you know, He's because of the serum and because of his innate personality, he's becoming less reliable. He's becoming more like, I can do this on my own. I don't need to listen to you guys. I'm going to just do this. His like impulse control is, is fading away here. And we see him like running at superhuman speed. Um, there's this chase through the library. First, we see Bruce swallow the USB drive with the data on it. Uh, which will come back later. Which is probably in 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 a movie full of like gamma mutation and uh, giant monsters and all that. Like taking a USB drive and shoving it down your own throat is maybe the most like. And, and maybe I just have a really sensitive gag reflex. But like, I'm just saying, that I was like, no, no, you didn't. The worst part you about. Know, <laughs> The worst part about trying to do that is first you put it in and then you got to turn it around and do it the other way. And then you got to turn it back <laughs> around and do it the first way. 
<laughs> oh god, yeah. First try, you're never gonna get it down your throat. It's no. Like, <laughs> or he puts it like the it's like drive side down like first, which means like the metal pro like maybe if it was like the plastic end. I don't know. Like I it's could bad. buy it going down a little smoother, but it's like, oh god, you're gonna scrape yourself. It just it it always bothers and like and you hear him kind of gag on it, and I'm like Yeah. And I don't know, like I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, he should hide it as a you can go full drug mule on it and hide it as a suppository, but like a lot easier. It's just like and it is certainly easier and probably easier to get back out later. Uh, but yeah, I'm just like, I don't think I could do that, and I don't know many people uh, who could. And maybe that's what makes him a superhero. That's right. Is is lack of a gag reflex. Mm-hmm. Uh, jokes. Uh, <laughs> so we yeah. Get, yeah we get get in the action <laughs> sequence yeah he sees betty in some kind of trouble at least and you know again maybe it should have been blonsky menacing her that would help set up their you know uh antagonism a little more yeah but regardless he he hulks out and we get this great fight where like they quickly established even in the first scene where he hulked out in the factory like he's bulletproof you can fire rpgs at him all day like nothing happens and so they, you know, the yeah. more firepower they use on him, it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, keep firing, assholes, and it's just nothing, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, where they get him is they they um, they pull out. Oh yeah, he like yeah, he does all kinds of cool stuff. This is a little reminiscent of the first Hulk movie too, where like he pulls, he grabs Humvees and like tosses them like they were nothing. Uh, very very yeah. cool. And someone is capturing a cell phone video of this. We'll we'll see that. Um, Blonsky is a very particular. Someone with a very particular name, but yeah, we'll 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 get to them in a little bit. Yeah, um, we see uh, Blonsky's kind of up. He's trying to like get to where Banner is, and he's like doing acrobatics and jumping. We can see it, the serum worked. He's definitely younger and more spry than he was before, and they Hulk. Uh, he takes this sculpture and kind of like wrecks it and is using it as like two shields on his arm. And they bring in these sound cannons. He's like, uh, it's like a giant like speaker sort of dish on top of a, a Humvee that just blasts sound waves at him. And that at least kind of weaken and immobilizes him. This will come back. This tech, yeah. this, it's stark tech and it will come back in other uh, later movies. I can't remember exactly when and which ones, but we'll call it out, I'm sure, as we get to those movies. Um, but this this will come back yeah. again. And I, I like this. It's like, okay, we got to think a little differently. We, can, we can't just shoot rockets at him. It doesn't do anything. But this works. But in his... Uh, eventually, like, he sees Betty again, and it's like, it's you know, it's the Popeye moment, right? The girl in peril. It's enough for him to kind of overcome the sound waves with his, like, arm shields. And he just breaks them, and that's it. And it feels to me like as as cool as the action is, again, sort of the the motivation and the beats here. It's like so seeing her that her she's going to have a, a hell of a dry cleaning bill. Apparently, is enough to get him to hulk out in the first place. And then just sort of seeing her standing there with the people around her. Is enough to like drive, give him the the gumption to you know push past these sonic cannons, and it's just like, 
you know, it just it doesn't feel earned. I guess like it's supposed to be this moment of like, oh, his love and devotion for her is what gets him through, but it doesn't really feel like the level of relative danger she's in necessarily justifies uh, his response in either case. Like, we're, and then you know we get a third beat of it later when you know he has to protect her from uh, the the helicopter, both initially from shooting and then from exploding. Um, but like that feels much more resonant um, than either of these beats that just kind of feel like it's like, and here's the part where the girl's in peril. So the guy, uh, you know, pushes through and saves her because guys do that for girls. And my there, hero, and, and there's your lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, like, I, I get it. It's just like it just doesn't feel like she's in any particular danger in either one of those circumstances. So have, it just yeah. sort of feels like, oh, okay. Well, this is the plot mechanic of, you know, oh, 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 she fell. So uh, we need him to Hulk out. So she's gonna fall so that he has an excuse to Hulk out. Oh, he needs to figure. He needs to work his way past these uh, sonic cannons in some way. Uh, she's she's also still there in the same relative. Actually, she's better off because now she's standing up um, and not on the ground anymore. So uh, maybe he, maybe he saw the grass stain this time and like it really drove home for him just how much he's going to have to pay uh, the dry cleaner. And maybe he's uh, you know he's going to have to you know treat that with you know, iodine or something. He's going to have to send it out for, you know, some special chemicals and, you know, just really enrages him. Cause, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It makes no sense to me. It's such cool action and it makes no sense just from an emotional you know perspective. The physics yeah. of it makes sense, but the I, emotional I core assume, isn't there for me. I just have to assume that maybe from, you know, the Hulk's roided out brain, you know, it looks like danger to him. But, you know, that's that's right. a lot of me <laughs> adding my own headcanon to it. Uh, so we get this. So finally he breaks the, the machines and he has this like face to face with Blonsky for a minute. And then he does what you'd expect him to do, which is he kicks him into a tree. And that is Jesus, the most yeah. brutal looking thing. I mean, he, he the fact that he survives it at all is incredible. I mean, it just, looks. Yeah, he just ragdolls this poor guy. Yeah, and, but I love that you know, intense. just Blonsky knowing full well what this guy can do, and you know that he's had no fact, just standing there unflinching, and like there's this wonderful moment, and they they have a couple of beats like this throughout the movie where they let Hulk be something other than angry, and Hulk just kind of like is just staring at this guy like, oh, you're really gonna make me do this? Okay, all right, asshole, all right, well, just all right, uh, fine, boom, kicks it, <laughs> and it's like. It's a little moment that, like, that I appreciate. You know, I don't know if it makes the most sense, but you know, it, it, it gives it a little bit of levity, but also, you know, shows you other shades of the Hulk. Um, and yeah, and then just the brutality of him hitting that tree, and just like you watch just the limbs, and watching it every single time, I still can't figure out if he hits the tree back first or face first the way that he winds up i'm like you know uh, the you know the old joke what's the first thing to go through a bug's mind when it hits a windshield it's ass kind of feels like you know what was the the first thing to go through blonsky's mind uh when he hit that tree um 
every single time I watch it, I'm like, wait, did he hit that? Fi- wait, so which what? Because it doesn't matter. Because he's all mangled up by the end. It's so brutal. And I don't know how they shot that. I don't know if that was like a, a, a prosthetic or, you know, just a really bendy stuntman or what. But it looks... I, I've used this word already several times, but there is no other word for it in my mind. Brutal. It's some faces of death shit. Like, it's really intense. <laughs> it's an intense. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so, hell, so uh, Betty goes out to try and calm the beast, which, of course, she's the only one who can. And for some reason, the helicopter yeah. just starts shooting on them, forgetting about the civilian, <laughs> you know, non-monster <laughs> person who is the general's daughter, and he, like, Ross, to his credit, is like, what the hell are you doing? Um, Hulk saves her. Well, it's the funny thing, too, because, like, right beforehand, and I guess he didn't see her there, but you hear Ross say, it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, open fire. And then he turns and sees her, and he's like, wait, why are you shooting? And it's like, this guy has no concept of, like, personal accountability. Just like, it's always someone else's fault. You know, like, yeah. the buck stops anywhere but the general's desk. Yeah. Uh, but Hulk protects her. He destroys the helicopter and grabs her and uh, r- runs off. Uh, disappears into the rain. And protects and her from fire and a complete defiance of how fire works. Yes. <laughs> but nevertheless, he he is successful in uh, protecting her and, and runs away. And we get this nice little scene. Like yes. we talk, we've alluded to this before, but Ross has this moment with um, Dr. Sampson. Uh, he tells Sampson, hey, you did the right thing. And he says, hey, I know you're lying. You know, you're, you're a bad person. And he says, oh, well, she's dating yeah. a fugitive and I can't help her. Where does she meet these guys? <laughs> it's just like, what an awful piece <laughs> well, of it's shit. Like, it's is. so, oh, yeah. And I love the, like, the, the lighting in the scene between, and kind of, and starting out at the end of uh, the fight scene, it's, you know, it's one of those, very interesting and sometimes it works and sometimes not so much. And here I feel like it's a mixed bag, but that sort of contrivance of it's starting to rain right when it needs to. And this one is like the second that there's this explosion, that there's all this fire. It's somehow like, I don't know if outside of Culver university has its own sprinkler system uh, that gets triggered by this, but it's like just the rain starts falling on cue and Mm -hmm. it like, it looks really, really cool. And at the same time, I'm like, was there even a cloud in the sky that we saw? At all in this? <laughs> and then there's kind of, and it like, and the the lighting kind of changes throughout. And I can't decide if they like. It feels like they couldn't decide whether it was like, oh, now it's going to be overcast and uh, rain because this is you know the storm. The storm has rolled in, but then from other angles, it's still sunny out and raining, which I think looks a lot cooler. And is how it is when uh, the scene with. Samson uh, following it when they're standing on the porch, which looks like really cool and gives it this just almost like ethereal quality, I guess, which feels like a weird tone to have in this mostly incidental scene, but it like it lends it a little more emotional. So like the rain works better. I feel like in this kind of non-consequential, uh, scene between supporting characters on a front porch. Um, and maybe it's cause like we didn't really get to know Leonard that well, but like Ty Burrell is such a great performer and William Hurt is such a great performer 
that like they really carry the scene that's not really necessarily about anything we didn't already know but like i think does bring into kind of stark relief uh the dynamic between uh betty and thaddeus um that uh man jumping back a little bit when Liv tyler is standing in front of that tank and shouting out like you know general i know you're in there and it's like this like tense moment and she screams dad and like i know they're related i know who these characters are from the comics but like that's such a just kind of cool moment and like even if you already know their relationship like it's it really punches Owen. Just the way she, like, there's such a, and there's always been such an interesting dynamic between them in the comics and uh, the various movies and shows. Um, but, yeah, I think those two kind of moments really drive out, like, the way she screams it. And that that's what convinces him to come out. As, like, she can still kind of pull on his heartstrings. And then this moment between Ross and Samson on this front porch where he's like, you know, I pride myself on knowing uh, when someone's lying. And then he walks out. And of course, Ross has to have the last word, whether the other person can hear it or not. It's like, where does she find these guys? It, yeah. It's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. she's certainly got a type. Yeah. <laughs> and it ain't daddy. <laughs> no. Uh, speaking of her type, it's a big green monster in the rain. Um, this is an interesting little... I think this is a cool looking scene. I know it's taken straight out of the comics that, you know, Hulk takes her to this cave and he's kind of out there just screaming at lightning um, because he's basically a giant scared toddler is what he is. And he, she kind of, I think he's also partially remembering when his father was a giant cloud that uh, was trying to kill him in the last movie. Oh, sure. Um, Yeah. And is yelling, Yelling at how stupid an idea that is. Um, <laughs> ah, I forgot. Uh, about sorry that. to keep oh. talking shit about a movie that we're not actually talking about, but it's just like every time I watch it now, and he like yells at the storm, and it's this wonderful primal kind of scene. It's a, it's a really wonderfully shot. Like there's some weird stuff like with the Hulk skin trying to make him look wet that like doesn't really hold up for me, but like everything else in the scene, I think works. So well, and every time he yells at the storm, all I can think about is Nick Nolte, Nick Nolte being a cloud. Yeah, and like it's like oh, now this guy just thinks all storms are his dad. Like yeah. he's just That's been it. soured on all storms. He's like, no, Dad, I don't want to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, it's all right. Uh, so we get back to um, uh, Blonsky in the hospital. We were told he broke all of his bones, all 206, I guess. Uh, but he wakes up. Yeah. So he's, you know, the serum did something to him. And uh, we go back to Betty and, and Bruce. He's now back to his normal self. And they go to a motel where he pukes up the day to drive because he had to improvise, of course. And uh, she got him yeah. a new she got him a new watch, which is nice, and uh, some purple pants that he refuses to wear because, you know, wink wink. Yeah, this is the this is the yellow spandex moment of this movie where the movie has to acknowledge that the hero wears something in the comics that the movie thinks is very stupid for the character to wear, 
And so calls it out, even though just, I mean, those plant pants are muy moss stretchy. Yeah. So like suddenly he's got moss stretchy pants that he was looking for before. And what, like he just doesn't like purple. Like, you know, it's oh, you're it just, too good it feels for this? like, yeah. <laughs> oh, now you're too good for moss stretchy. Get out of here, banner. You're a fugitive. Take these gift pants and, and like it. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you beggars cannot be choosers, sir. Uh, but there is news about the battle at the college on uh, on the TV. That cell phone video is featured, and uh, we hear the search for Hulk. We finally hear his name used. Continues. They uh, said, "Oh yeah, he was featured like on W H I H, which is a running uh, news network in the Marvel Cinematic Universe." Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, cause I don't remember it popping up in Iron Man, uh, Christine Everhart eventually becomes, uh, a correspondent or anchor for them, uh, in later material. But I think this is the first appearance of, uh, of WHIH, which becomes yeah. sort of the canonical, um, it's the CNN of the in world. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The, 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 the news network. That they can get away with using without having to pay anybody, okay. um, and the uh, the students who are a reference who we saw uh, filming the battle earlier, uh, those are two uh, not terribly uh, deep cuts, but they are named in this segment as being uh, Jack McGee, who is referenced as being a uh, a reporter for the school paper, and that is a reference for fans of uh, the. Incredible Hulk TV show. That was the reporter who was always hunting down uh, Banner slash Hulk, um, and was sort of the antagonist, I guess, uh, to to some extent. The uh, the Marshal Gerard of uh, the you know to bring it back to your earlier fugitive <laughs> reference, and uh, the uh, the other student was named as Jim Wilson, who was a character from the comics. Um, who, uh, speaking of, as we did earlier, the, uh, Hulk's teen sidekicks, uh, Jim Wilson was originally kind of the replacement for, uh, Rick Jones, uh, who had gone on to have a co-starring role in the Captain Marvel book of that time. Um, Jim Wilson was later revealed to be, uh, in the comics uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, later Captain America's uh, nephew. Um, don't believe that's going to necessarily be canon in this version. Nope. Um, but was most notable, at least in comics and Hulk history, uh, for and and maybe and this was partly what I was alluding to uh, a little bit earlier. Maybe why my head is in the space. But uh, Jim Wilson was one of the first. And I believe it might have been the first uh, mainstream comics uh, supporting characters to both be diagnosed with and uh, die from AIDS. Um, and it was a big story at the time. And it was, you know, like a big kind of... And there's been some uh, later uh, creative and editorial um, sort of mea culpas offered of this of like... Maybe we shouldn't have had the first character that we introduced uh, diagnosed with AIDS also wind up uh, succumbing to it, especially at that time when, you know, it was 
you know, such a loaded topic and seen as a, uh, as, as basically a death sentence, um, because it was, uh, the original story was in the nineties. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, during, uh, Peter David's run, uh, the, uh, the character was introduced much, much earlier during, uh, I believe during the Roy Thomas, uh, era on Hulk, um, and had a very storied run. And like I said, you know, had, um, ties to other members of the Marvel universe and yeah in the end this is sort of his you know legacy in the comics um I don't think his inclusion here is necessarily supporting my theory you know from earlier but uh you know it's it's just it's a fun little easter egg of a a character but the fact that they combine a like supporting sidekick character from the comics with a more antagonistic character from the show um, who would later on uh, in the immortal Hulk comics that uh, I was talking about earlier, there's a, uh, a gender and race swapped uh, character introduced in immortal Hulk, uh, Jackie McGee, uh, who is a reporter who winds up uh, pursuing Hulk stories and gets wrapped up in his, um, kind of adventures uh, because of a childhood incident where Hulk sort of destroyed her home uh, and the community surrounding it. Um, So it's, it's interesting to me that like, just as Easter eggs go, like you could have, there are plenty of Hulk characters to do. So it's, I wonder what the decision-making process, or if they just picked two Hulk supporting characters out of a hat and were like, yeah, Jim Wilson and Jack McGee have, Nothing to do with one another in either medium, but here they are friends, apparently. And this also seen, uh, we'll uh, talk about this later on, I suppose, not necessarily in this episode, but this scene uh, is seen in the background of a shot in Iron Man 2. So the ending of Iron Man 2 is happening parallel with this point of the Hulk movie and, uh, and what is... Known in MCU lore as uh, Fury's Big Week, where the events of this movie, Iron Man 2, and Thor are apparently all happening around the same time. Um, And I just, I find that delightful, and that it has a name. Mm -hmm. Um, That, (laughs) I think that's, that's just, that's the fun you can have with a shared universe. Of just saying, yeah, it so happens, these things were all happening at the same time. They're stacked, they're overlapped. Um, and just, yeah, goes beyond Easter eggs. It's, it's threaded material. And, uh, this being the second out of the gate, it's the first one to be able to have any kind of connective tissue by, you know, referencing shield, Stark, Nick Fury, then having Iron Man to pull the scene. I think it's literally the scene they're watching on TV in this movie. Like it's just on a smaller screen, uh, in Iron Man two. Um, which I think is just, is just cool. I, 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 like I have no other explanation for it. It's, yeah, it's I, the thing I love about shared universes. It's definitely something they got better at as the MCU went on is, you know, making these characters oh, sure, count, yeah. connecting the dots. You know, they're just dipping a toe in here for sure. Uh, but now we get to the coitus yeah. interrupt this scene where Liv Tyler <laughs> and, uh, Ed Norton are getting it on and his Fitbit starts going off and he has to, uh, he has to bow out of 
sexual congress because uh, if he hulked he out, out while he yeah that's uh, that, that, yeah. he never learned the tap out from uh, from the Gracie uh, brother <laughs> right yeah because if he transformed into the Hulk especially if he was on top that would be it for her she'd be crushed to death um, yeah basically so, so good I, thing she yeah. got him that Fitbit too because otherwise he wouldn't have known he was that excited <laughs> yeah uh, which is really rough for for poor Bruce um, just yeah. So, so would you, would you refer to that as green balls, <laughs> or maybe maybe teal because it's it's blue and green? I, well, I, I, well, I don't know what the. I tip my hat to you. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we get to Blonsky. He looks normal again somehow. Uh, Ross says, "Hey, it's good to see you back on your feet. How do you feel?" And he says, "Ready for round three. Um, they, you know, he wants to go after Hulk again. Uh, the we kind of are." Cutting back and forth a little bit between um, the bad guys and the good guys here. So Betty and Bruce are figuring out what they want to do. They don't want to be tracked. They can't use their credit cards. They're going to hawk her mother's necklace, which is like her last, I guess, token of her. Meanwhile, we find out that Ross knows about Mr. Blue. That's going to be, again, the the way that they track Bruce. They figure at some point he'll reach out and make contact. And Mr. Blue does tell them. It's time to meet because you got the data I needed. And uh, we can see it's part of a S.H.I.E.L.D. database. Again, and like you said, tying things together. And we find out that Blue is Samuel Stearns. Um, and apparently even on this uh, encrypted uh, dark web deus ex machina internet connection aliases, um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is apparently so good that uh, they can read those me- Not only can they read those messages, but they know your actual email address from them (laughs) right so the internet can do anything in these movies but also anything can be done to the internet in these movies (laughs) it's the the bit from toy story it's a double-edged sword it's the bit from toy story says well i have a force field well i have a dog that eats force fields or whatever you know it's you know kid logic right yeah (laughs) this is totally encrypted and you can't break it exactly Ah, but we're so good that we can all right uh so they they decide (laughs) they're gonna head off to new york to go meet stern's and, uh, you know, this is that scene where Betty asks what it's like, you know, to be the Hulk. And he says it's a lot like these hallucination experiments they did with a liter of acid in his brain. And she says, is it still you inside? He says, no, I don't want to control it. I want to get rid of it, right? He does not want the Hulk around. He wants a cure. Uh, Blonsky gets another round of injections. And Betty and Bruce run into roadwork. So they pull in Everybody Hurts and just leave the truck behind. That's um, a 90s music video reference for you kids out there uh we're old <laughs> for those of you who don't know rem what's wrong with you yeah that's go listen to rem yes maybe not their best song but man what a catalog anyway um so they hitch a boat ride to new york city oh, yeah, and they say sure. uh we should take should we take the subway and he says that's a bad idea because if i you know me and a bunch of angry people stuck in a small space that's no good so they'll get a cab and we get of course your classic new york joke about how awful it is to live in new york by being, they're stuck in an insane cab ride with an insane driver. Um, but we get a nice moment for Betty, a character moment for her to kind of like <laughs> Hulk out in her own way against the driver and berate him. To which I think he responds about something about like, hey, I can offer some anger management advice. Which, I've, uh, I've got some breathing exercises that might help. Just, her response to, there's such a es- wonderful escalation of comedy uh, in this sequence. Because I remember this, the, yeah. the joke about riding on the subway was in the trailer. And it was like such a good payoff because he's like, you know, it's like me in a, you know, 
enclosed metal <laughs> tube underground in the most aggressive city on earth and are just a dry response of you're right let's get a cab and it's a funny like laugh line in the trailer and then you see it in the movie and it immediately follows on this beat of the worst cabbie ever and like how high stress and you hear the beeping going off on the watch and you see just bruce in the back seat and they jump out betty has her confrontation bruce has his wonderful like you know, I've got some techniques that might help you. And she just has this just sharp, just don't. <laughs> just this mm-hmm. like, and it's it's a delightful moment. I think this was, the first time I saw it in the theater, I wondered if they had uh, shot the movie in sequence. Because um, a lot of times, for those of you who you know, maybe don't know, the, the magic behind Hollywood, uh, movies aren't necessarily shot uh, sequentially. Um, but it seemed to me when I was watching this one that, uh, that Bruce and Betty's, or I should say, uh, Norton and Tyler's chemistry throughout, like, I didn't really feel it at first. I was kind of like, you know, okay, all right. Yeah. I guess it's you know kind of there, but like by this point and certainly by the point of them in the motel room, um, I was really feeling it. And I was like, it made me wonder in my head, like, were they filming at least, their scenes in sequence. And so by this point, they were more comfortable with each other and had developed that chemistry. Cause I didn't really feel it so much at the beginning, but by this point, and especially this interaction, I was like, yeah, this is a cut. Like, you know, you can see the sweet moment between them on the bridge, the, like the notebook moment in the rain. Uh, you know, you can see them in the motel room and kind of, this really does feel like them as a couple. Like, this feels like a relationship interaction. This isn't a doomed romance. This isn't, you know, oh, we've been apart for so long. This is them in their natural mode. Kind of, this this is their banter. This is their Tony Pepper moment. This is very, um, it's, it's a it, great. It really yeah. plays well. Well, this is MCU dialogue. This dialogue feels like, you know, yeah. later MCU dialogue. In a way, I could see, like, Mark Ruffalo doing those scenes. You know, the, the, it, this is the yeah, magic sure. that. This is kind of an injection of levity and and fun that the earlier part of the film is lacking. It needs this. Uh, It needs more of this. And it's going to get even funnier because we're about to meet Stearns. And Stearns is, uh, as you said, Tim Blake Nelson. Audiences probably know him best as the third leg from uh, the trio from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's not George Clooney and he's not John Turturro. Uh, He's the other one uh, where he plays kind of a real idiot, uh, but a very sweet idiot. In that movie. And here he's like kind oh, yeah. of the goofy, you know, boy ain't science fun, Bill Nye kind of professor character. And his like enthusiasm for science is like, you know, it, it's great because it hides all the menacing stuff that's coming from him later. Like he just seems genuinely yeah. like this is a really interesting science problem you've brought me. I can't wait to solve it. This is so cool. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's telling it like we got to figure this out. We don't want to kill you as part of this treatment. You know, we got it's very, very hard. Uh, will this cure work permanently or will it just stop a specific flare up? I don't know. Um, his whole attitude through this whole scene is so endearing and engaging. It's great. Again, we needed more of this earlier in the film. Uh, but this this yeah, all works agreed. for me. All right. We get a shot of Blonsky looking in the mirror and his spine is becoming more pronounced, kind of, um, you know, heralding what will happen to him later. Uh and so we go into the lab, and they're going to just do this experiment. Whatever prep work was going to happen, it happened off screen. And we're strapping Bruce to a table. Uh, for and They want to trigger a Hulk reaction 
so they can inject him with this stuff in the middle of it, which should, you know, essentially uh, neutralize that. It's like dialysis thing. Uh, and yeah. so... They, if we inject the phlebotanum in during the nth stage of the uh, metabolic reversal of the neutron flow, then the hand-wavy lampshade will surely <laughs> manifest uh, in a way that is similar. Think about a balloon that has too much air in it. Uh, <laughs> it's like the most like just sciencey, science, sciencey, science dialogue. Like you know, yeah, we we move past all the lab work, and you get kind of a little explanation. I actually tried to like listen to it this time to really get the explanation, and it still didn't entirely make sense. But it also made me think. I was like, there's some stuff that like got cut that was maybe like too sciencey earlier in the movie. Because, like, they mentioned some, like, primer that uh, I guess Betty had designed that he had been injected with uh, before he got exposed to the radiation. And that was what allowed him to absorb it. And I was like, wait, well, like, this was the first time I really noticed. I was like, this is the first time we're ever hearing anything about whatever this, this primer is. Like, it never gets mentioned earlier in the film. And it's like, you're you're paying off. Something you never bothered to set up. And also it sort of takes away a little bit of the bat. It's like, and yeah, it's, it's, it's all sort of hypothesis on uh, Stearns's part at this point. But like, I think one of the cool things about Hulk in general, both in the comics and uh, in all the other movies, is there's not really an explanation for why or how he survived the Gamma. You know, you don't need to get into, you know, oh, there was a primer. Oh, he's got a metagene. Oh, it's like, no, it's just he, he is the one. He survived. It's the, you know, the one in a billion shot that he just happened to be. And, you know, like, like Ross says, you know, something very, very wrong happened or something very, very right. Um, And there are different, you know, kind of explanations and theories and uh, stuff in the comics um, but in the end, it's really just like, because he's the Hulk. Yeah. Like this, it's sort of that, you know, destiny moment. And when you start, it starts to get a little midichlorian-y like, you know, oh, well, because you had this primer and we never really knew. And so blah, blah, blah. And it's like, did we, I guess it makes Betty a little more involved and, but like, we already knew she was there in the experiment. Like she wasn't arm candy with them they develop these experiments together that gets explained but this primer I at least i don't recall it and this was the first time i really kind of listened to the hand wavy stuff because usually i'm just sitting there and being like okay all right i'm just enjoying tim blake nelson being wacky but this time i really kind of listened to the dialogue i was like wait none of this got established before so you're expecting it to pay off now but it's also in such a like hand wavy way like why are you introducing it? It, it, just, it felt so off. Like this was a remnant from a draft of the screenplay where every other... So, someone missed this on the find and replace function in the screenplay <laughs> where there was like, oh, no, take, take all the mentions of that primer out because we're not going to use that anymore. And somebody missed this one line. 
while going through on one pass is what it feels like to me. It's very vestigial. It's very kind of isolated on its own. We need hand wavy sciency dialogue. So here's some hand wavy sciency dialogue and that's all well and good, but now you, it kind of raises more questions than it answers. Right. Or it shouldn't even answer any questions. It's just, it's there to be a placeholder. It's there to show you science is happening. Yeah. Like, unless you actually want to get into the science of a Hulk. No, we just need a little like, you know, you could cut back to that and have it be like what you were saying. It could just be him putting a cap back on a marker. I mean, it's like, and that's how the antidote's going to work. And that's all we really need to know is that they know how it's going to work. <laughs> right. And it does work. Uh, they, they, they trigger a transformation. Yeah. They're able to inject him with this stuff after a little slapstick with the machines and stuff. Um, but they, they're able to get it to work in time. And with a little, uh, again, uh, calming bedside presence, uh, bedside manner from Betty. Uh, he turns back into Bruce Banner. All the like weird veins and uh, purple veins or green veins go away. Um, they do a good job of like making that look painful and like unpleasant in a way that like they kind of did away with. Like when Mark Ruffalo turns into the Hulk, he's just like he just turns big and green and it's kind of smooth. This is more you know body horror stuff about how awful it is. Um, but they do it; it works. Yeah. Um, and we Let have me this, ask you yeah. a question here, because we haven't really addressed it so far, and I'm curious to get uh, your mm-hmm. opinion on because um, certainly I think they've struck the right balance with uh, with Ruffalo, where like it legitimately looks like the Hulk that he turns into looks like him as Bruce Banner, just big and greener, whatever. And they kind of tried to do that with Eric Bana, but it just sort of looked like a uh, weird Shrekky thing with Bana's face kind of pasted onto it. So it wasn't very successful. This one, one of the things that always kind of bugs me a little bit is that Hulk doesn't look like Banner. Like, I don't see how Banner turns into that. I mean, like, we kind of see it there, but it's like... It's his face. And it doesn't it look really, like it really bothers face. me in the comics. Like, in the comics and in the cartoons, you know, Banner's usually got, you know, very, like, longer features and, you know, more, you know, angular, sharp, sort of nerdy, nebbishy science guy. And the Hulk has a sort of wider countenance. Um, you know, he's the big, broad, muscly guy. And it never bothers me there, but, like, this was the first time... And I remember, like, even before Ruffalo really came into the picture, it... it and I don't know if bothered is necessarily, but like broke the verisimilitude. What little there could be in a movie about a big green irradiated monster. Um, that like, I'm looking at the Hulk and I've just been, you know, watching Bruce Banner and they don't feel like the same character to me. They, and I don't, I don't yeah. like, and maybe I'm the only one, but like, I, I was curious to get your input on that. Now, no, cause I, this I is agree. the only real time that we see facially him transform between the two. So like, we see how his features, you know, change into that. So it seemed like a good time to bring no, it up. No, you're I right. I, your I do think, yeah, I, I don't mind the design of the Hulk in this movie. I still think that the, the, the best is the Ruffalo one. Um, but like you said, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a, um, a resonance between the way, Mark Ruffalo's face looks and Ruffalo Hulk's face looks like it came from that. And this does not look yeah. like it came from Ed Norton at all. Um, it do, it's not a bad yeah. looking Hulk design. It just doesn't look like it what used to be Ed Norton. So I, I agree with you. Um, no. Yeah. 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 
I think like the the only my my only real problem with the Hulk in and of himself is like some of the like the skin texture and especially like I mentioned before like if he if he's wet or anything like you know has to like come in contact with it just like the skin it just looks CGI ish yeah. um and you know and this is you know and uh, you know of course CGI has come a long way um and and this one is worlds better than uh, any of the ones that they had, because they had a few different versions in uh, Ang Lee's. And I think this one uh, looked so much better and more developed. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just something about the texture on it feels off, um, even at the time. It's and I know, too you know and, and there were certainly limitations. They were probably doing the best that they could, but well, it just. I- eh. My feeling is that the the Ang Lee one is like it's just too just like bright green and smooth, and so they said we'll try to make it look more realistic. Yeah. We'll make it look more modeled, and I think they went a little too far in that direction. So it it makes him almost look like he's slightly yeah, camouflaged um, compared to say. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I think the Ruffalo one is a, a happy medium. So um, all right, so we get this post mortem on the experiment where you know. Tim Blake Nelson still in this Bill Nye, the science guy mode is like, wow, that was amazing because none of the test subjects survived. And they said, what test subjects? Uh, and as soldiers are beginning <laughs> to take their position around the, the, uh, this apartment or whatever it is, this lab, um, he, he reveals that he actually took that sample that Bruce sent him and was able to make a lot more of Bruce's blood. And it's got limitless applications. It'll make humans impervious to disease. And, of course, Bruce says, no, we need to incinerate this. Um, this is very, very bad. Blonsky uh, comes in, parkouring his way in, uh, and Bruce is tranquilized. Blonsky tries to induce him to Hulk out, but it doesn't work because he's had this treatment. So they just take Banner out on a stretcher. Um, we And, like, yeah. there's a little bit of... It's interesting because, like, as they're kind of cutting in between, you've got, like, all of these forces, you know, kind of converging around. And you've got, you know, like, helicopters and sirens and everything, and they're approaching. And then you cut back to the lab, and it's just, they're kind of sitting there. And I know, like, they're, you know, on a maybe higher level, but it it feels, and, you know, (laughs) they're, for what is probably supposed to be, and every other time that they have come up against or uh, tried to subdue a banner. It's been made paramount how important stealth is. And like, we can't cue him in. We can't, you know, clue this guy in. And you kind of get it from like their end that they don't know that they're there. But then every scene from outside, it's treated more like, you know, like an occupation. And you really do. It's like, should they be... And I get like you know the visual spectacle of it and everything, but at the same time, it just feels like they're abandoning stealth, and yet it still worked out okay for them. Like this is the one time that Bruce doesn't actually notice uh, the soldiers. It's not, like his dog cues him off before he kind of sees some guy behind a pillar on the university, and this time helicopters and sirens and everything going off, and they're completely clueless. Like there's just I don't know. There's a little dissonance. Yeah. There, but yeah, Blonsky coming in and that kind of desperation of like, you know, I want to face it. Like, I'm I'm super Jack now. I want to face you for real. Like, and there's an interesting um, moment 
where they're discuss when they're discussing kind of the experiment and kind of the, the aftermath of the experiments where it's it's reiterated that they still don't know if this is a permanent cure or if it just subdued that one manifestation to i guess create some suspense that he might not be the hulk anymore and then of course we know that he is and i just don't know and i don't know necessarily what the solution is but again, it feels like one of those half measures. Like we're trying to manufacture tension that he might not be the Hulk anymore, right when he most needs to be. But it doesn't really feel tense. And maybe it's because they kind of went out of their way to explain uh, that this might not be a permanent thing. Um, but it just it feels very much like a half measure. Like, oh, we're not really going to commit because we know that we're going to have to backpedal on this in two or three scenes. Right. But. What is like, I mean, was he not going to be the Hulk for the climax of the movie? Go to create tension, yeah. then create the tension. Like, yeah. have us believe like, oh man, maybe he really is. I mean, it's like that moment when we were talking about Blade. And like, we see Blade, you know, drained and we're like, oh man, does he, you know, have his abilities? He's been. So, and we're not really sure if he's, you know, of course we know from movie logic, yeah, he's going to, you know, come back and kick everyone's ass, but we don't really know how. And this one is just sort of like, yeah, it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, you might still be the Hulk. Um, and it's not really given any kind of uh, weight. So there's no real stakes to, and they, they drag it out as long as they can, as we'll discuss here in a couple of scenes. But it just feels very noncommittal. Another moment of uh, half measures, like I said. Yeah, it, you can see the strings for sure uh, as yeah. we do this. But this gives way to two really good scenes. One is um, Betty telling her father off, which is you know deserved. Um, and more importantly, we get to the yeah. scene where Blonsky takes out one of the, the, the soldiers so he can have an, some alone time with Stearns to tell him he wants whatever you got out of Banner. And Stearns is like, I don't know, you want to do that? You, you seems like you've already got something inside you. The mixture could be in abomination dun 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 he said the name he said the name uh, we're ironmongers uh man it's the same beat um same shtick we can't say the name out loud for real um they'll get better at this as they go yeah. on like, that would just be yeah. silly let's but you know it's okay to have two giant a, a green and a bony guy punch each other throughout harlem yeah. um, i think my, that's thing, fine yeah. One thing the MCU got really good at, I think, was like finding ways to like, you know what? No, this character is going to look like they do in the comics and it will make it work. We'll just yeah. make it work the way it is. Like Mysterio, for example, is a ridiculous looking character. But damned if they didn't yeah. put that on screen and it looked great. You know, they just find a way to make it yeah. seem like it works. And you lean into it. You know, like if you need to lean into it, you lean into it. If you need to put a lampshade on it, you put a lampshade on it. But it was like, this really feels like that last vestige. Like I said, you know, like with the purple pants moment, you know, it really is that, you know, what'd you expect yellow spandex where it's like, you know, okay, are you, did, did you want to make a superhero movie? Like, and some of it works and, you know, and I laughed at that moment in X-Men like we talked about, but you know, there was kind of a trend uh, that came out of that of like, oh, people like when we make fun of the source material and like how, how silly it is. And it's like, no, we liked that joke, um, but we don't want, like, your fan base are the people who grew up on that. 
We don't want you to be embarrassed. We don't yeah. want you to have to code in the name abomination or like say it's like, oh, purple pants. Like I'd really wear those. It's like at a certain point, it just feels like we're being bullied by the thing that we used to get bullied for liking. Yeah. And it's like, well, is there a place where we can just be nerds who like ridiculous things anymore? And of course the answer is yes. And Kevin Feige has provided many of them for us, but it, I think it is one of the reasons that this movie feels like such a throwback to, you know, movies from not that long before, but certainly not the kind of Renaissance that the MCU gave us. Yeah. Um, the, the trick is, really, yeah. One thing, the other thing that really kind of, irks me in this scene uh, especially on rewind like um when blonsky knocks out the soldier who's interrogating sterns and i love stern's response there i'm just it's like why are you hitting everyone like he's so like flustered by this but he's still got that great energy and it's still clear tim blake nelson is having the time of his life um but then like <laughs> Blonsky, and I guess it's another uh, shoot the dog moment where it's like, oh, we got to really drive home the fact this guy is unlikable. Looks at this woman he's just knocked out and he's like, she's an annoying bitch. And I'm like, was that really necessary, sir? Like, we have not built any, and maybe these were, you know, deleted scenes or, you know, again, things that were in earlier passes of the script where there's some kind of antagonism built in between uh Blonsky and uh Ross's aide de camp uh but we never get any of that and so just him coming in and knocking her out and then like yeah I really gotta point out the fact that I think she's an annoying bitch like <laughs> tearing up Harlem is one thing sir but I will not stand for misogyny yeah it, it is you're right it's a little bit of like we, we are we we know you're the villain already we didn't we didn't need that um, and that's not what yeah. makes you villainous. Your your thing is not power over women. Your thing is just literal physical power. That's what you want. Uh, and so he gets his uh, con- Stearns gets his informed consent <laughs> as he chokes him out. <laughs> which is very funny. Such a great um, interaction. I love the two of them. Yeah. I could watch another twenty minutes of Tim Roth and Tim Blake Nelson interacting. Like yeah. that was delightful. It's really good. Uh, so we get a quick shot of Bruce and Betty. They're on a helicopter out of the area. So we know that in theory, they're, they're far away from what's happening. Uh, but Blonsky gets his gamma burst. We hear screaming. There's a transformation. There's bones bursting out of skin. Uh, and Stearns gets knocked over and blood, Hulk blood drips onto his head, which like bulges. And he gives this like creepy smile to never be seen again <laughs> as the leader. Um, <laughs> but... I, you gotta I guess believe. the leader was more of the go to the back of the liner. There's got to be a cork board somewhere that, at like MCU headquarters with like all of these like, you know, as yet unused threads or like, you know, things we need to come back to. That's got to be on there somewhere. You got to feel like someday we're going to bring him back. I would not I, be surprised if he yeah. if he showed up in She-Hulk. Like we already know yeah. Abomination is going to be there. I would not be surprised if he popped up. Maybe not even during like the run of the show. Maybe setting up a season two or something as an after credits. Like you've got Tim Blake Nelson, and Under he seemed to be yeah. having fun. Yeah, and you know, and it, you know, of course, Marvel uh, and in the more modern Marvel films, 
they're not super like you know we're gonna hold you to your contract you know hugo weaving didn't have to come back and play red skull they didn't enact his contract you know and brought in uh, uh russ marquand uh to play red skull instead uh for infinity war and endgame um so if he didn't want to come back certainly didn't wouldn't necessarily have to but you've got him and you've got the potential there and i think he would have such a scenery chewing good time playing this giant green-headed megalomaniac especially if he kept playing him with that kind of like overwhelming kind of like almost toxic positivity if the leader had that still had that same energy of like Man, science is great. Oh, I took over this whole race of gorillas, and I'm going to take over the whole city with it. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like, that would be delightful. Yeah. I would I would sign up for, if I were not already subscribed to Disney+, Plus. I would subscribe to Disney+, Plus for that show. Yeah. Like I said, we, we said before, steals this every scene he's in. He's so good. Uh, but Absolutely. Now, now we're in the end game. There is chaos in the streets of Harlem as Abomination. No, that's that's several movies later, Doug. Endgame is way, way later. I'm sorry. Uh, we're in the... <laughs> we're in the cl- the climax of this movie uh, where, uh, yeah, Abomination's running through the streets of Harlem uh, just wrecking shit, you know, hoping that the Hulk will show up to fight him because that's what he wants. Like one of these fucking online trolls that's always like, come on, debate me. Um, he's, he's doing the same. Yeah. Fight thing. me, bro! I'm gonna keep wrecking shop in Harlem, and I'm like, why did it have to be Harlem? Like that feels very pointed in a uh, <laughs> a movie with pretty much yeah, all going white people reviewing. Is that, this entire cast is white, yeah, and the climax of this film is destroying Harlem. And I know maybe I'm following on my uh, uh, annoying bitch comment. Um, a little bit much, but I'm like, was was that really the borough we needed to see uh, destroyed? Um, like, can go the other side of 110th Street. Like, let's just spread spread the destruction around a little bit. Uh, my assumption, <laughs> my assumption is that Times Square would have been too hard to recreate, so we want to create something iconic right. from Manhattan, uh, so we can you know have this centerpiece at the Apollo Theater. Uh, that's still recognizable. That's my that's my assumption. But before we get that, I think um, you're right. I think that you know, it feels a little tone deaf. Um, before we get to that, we have the scene of, of course, Bruce and Ross, uh, the elder and the younger, all in the helicopter, you know, witnessing this from a distance. And Bruce basically says, "You got to get me in there. Um, I, I may not be able to control it, but you can aim it. You know, you can at least you know get yeah. me close enough to it that maybe I'll be able to stop him." And even Ross knows. Put me in, coach. You know, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And <laughs> he know, you know, even Ross, General Ross knows, like, yeah, I don't like this guy. I don't like the Hulk. But what else we got? This is this is the right call. So, because uh, I guess they're all out of uh, sonic blasters. And they didn't really work the first time anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, th- those were only prototype versions. And the Hulk destroyed right. both of those. So now, now what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> So he, they open the back door of the helicopter and he says, I'm going to basically I'm going to induce this change by falling, uh, you know, toward to the earth. And Betty's like, you don't even know if you're going to change. You, you just had this treatment. And he just says, I got to try. He kisses her and then just falls backwards. And we're waiting for his eyes to like pop open and turn green like before. And they don't. And he just goes, oh, shit. 
uh, involved. And that's I think that's a cute moment. Um, but we know it's going to happen. He hits it's very screen, funny, you know. but and it's like and it's 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 a very cinematic moment. But it's also like again, it it feels a little unearned. It's like you know, like there's no real justification. Like the one thing he says is, uh, you know, oh, you know, I have to I have to induce it. Like you know that that'll be the thing that induces the change this time. And it's like, how about Betty's going? What if we well, had sex again? We've. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like, I can think of a lot of other ways than, you know, jumping out that are proven than, you know, jumping out of a helicopter. It's just like, just run. Or if you just, be, or if they were like, all right, we got to land this thing right now and get you down there. If Bruce was just like, it's like, there's no time. Who can imagine, you know, how much destruction will he rot in the meantime? And then he, you know, like runs out without even thinking. But there's kind of like, they have enough of a conversation about it after he makes that decision that it's like, I think you might have kind of negated any time saved there. So like the urgency of it doesn't feel like the reason for it. Like I could see that, but it's like, there's not really, they stand on the landing of it, just discussing whether or not he's going to jump for, you know, about as long, like maybe half the length of the time it would take to at least lower, get lower. So it's like, if he doesn't change, maybe it's just, you know, the uh, breaks every bone in his body, which apparently is something you can spring right back from. Um, But yeah, it is, it is, it's a good moment. It just feels like, uh, there's so many good moments that don't feel entirely earned in this movie. And I think maybe, (laughs) I don't know that we've come any closer to zeroing in on like the one thing. Cause I think that there are like, you know, 20 little things. This movie suffers from uh, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. And I don't mean that in an editing sense. But it is a good moment, and it looks really cool having him, you know, fall out and the the oh shit, and then he like. But you also know, like, it, what's he gonna do? Our hero's gonna like, die ten minutes before the end of the movie. Yeah, it's like, well, that's the end of the movie. Abomination wins. Everybody, go home. It's like, yeah. So you know that, but it's like it's almost played. There's almost a little too. They haven't found that, and we've discussed this a little bit before. They haven't found that balance between the moments of levity and the dramatic tension that later MCU movies play with really well. Like this one is like, you know, Oh, there's a funny moment of, Oh, he didn't change. Oh, he said, Oh shit. Oh man, he's going to crash. Oh, but now is Bruce dead? And it's like, we know Bruce isn't dead. This was just a funny moment. So now you're trying to play for, and it's just like the, the mixture of it is off the balance yeah. of it. Like doesn't quite play. So it's like each individual component is fine in and of itself. But the fact it's like, you had your cake, wanted to eat it too, and also uh, wanted a bagel instead. Like, it, it, it can't all work. Or maybe it can, but you didn't find the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so we get our, our, our climactic fight between the Hulk and the Abomination as, as Bruce climbs out of the street, you know, the crater in the street as the Hulk. Uh, pretty cool fight. Uh, I do like this. It's hard to recap because just a lot of like running and punching and screaming and throwing uh, as monsters do. Yeah, it's it's big CGI guys punching each other. And, you know, and some of it's pretty cool and well choreographed and some of it just kind of feels like visual noise. Um, I like the bit where he and, ha- he uh, rips a, co- a cop car in half and uses the two halves as bo- uh, boxing gloves. That's pretty cool. That feels very yeah, like Hulk. That's Hulk, video game Hulk almost. Um, but they they fight and punch and fight. Uh, and at some point, the helicopter, 
the, the abomination throws something at the helicopter that makes it crash out of the sky. And so we have this point where we're in this like ruined, I guess, churchyard. I don't know what this is, but this is like an empty lot um, where we've got our our helicopter with the Rosses in it on one side, and we've got Hulk and Abomination, and the helicopter's on fire um, from a gas leak. Blonsky is villain taunting him. You know, you don't deserve this power. He's, I guess, sentient as uh, as Abomination in a way that Hulk is not. Uh, but he has this thing where he has like yeah. a concrete pylon on a chain and he's like swinging it and bashing Hulk with it. It looks really painful. And they do a lot to let us know that like this is an even fight, possibly an uneven fight where Hulk is outmatched. Um, and he uses those yeah. like bony spurs to like stab him. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool. But ultimately he sees yeah. the, the it felt very yeah. much like uh, and this is, of course, you know, predates the version that's in uh, uh, Batman v Superman. But uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, the fight between uh, Superman and Doomsday and the death of Superman comic where, you know, it's like strength wise. Yeah, they're they're probably, you know, on par with one another. But, you know, Doomsday just has these like bony spirit and it just keeps digging them in. And every time Abomination did that, I was just like, that was what flashed into my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it feels savage. Uh, in a lot of ways. And this is very... There's a lot of cool choreography uh, in this particular sequence of the fight. Um, I don't know that you necessarily need it. And again, it feels like a remnant from an older superhero movie to have to have uh, the helicopter there and have to have Betty in peril. Like, it's not enough just to have these two characters fight. And it's not enough that the this section of the city is in danger. We have to have this immediate peril to the love interest, um, sparking the flames, uh, around the helicopter. And then, uh, somehow I guess he claps uh, so hard. He blows it out like a candle. Yeah. And I'm like, wouldn't that also just like concuss the the helicopter away? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that's that's that is one notable moment where yes he he puts out the fire by clapping at it, uh, and then Blonsky hits him again with the the concrete pylon on a chain, and he says any last words and we finally get Hulk smash, and he hits the ground and it creates this like the the ground kind of caves in as Blonsky is swinging this thing around on a pylon or on a chain, so it like he it kind of messes up the sw- the swinging he's doing and just hits him on the head, and that gives. Hulk the moment he needs to grab the chain and choke out Abomination. He also rips off one of his own bone spurs and stabs him with it. And it looks like he's going to kill him and Betty yells at him to stop. Why would he stop? Why would she want him to stop? I don't know. He should very well kill this thing. But Yeah, heroes don't kill, I guess, even though we've seen in the MCU, even up to this point, they most definitely do. Um... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Iron Man wasn't firing rubber bullets at those terrorists. Right. Um, so, yeah, it does feel a little like there's never a moment, like if there had been some moment of where Bruce was in all of his laments to Betty about uh, what it's like being the Hulk, where it's like, you know, feels like he's just a force of destruction. Like I can't control him. Like I can't, like, you know, he's he's 
only useful for for death. That's all he can do. Blah, blah, blah. Something like that. So that then this moment is her intervening to help him not be that. And instead it just kind of feels like, uh, we, like, can we have, can we have our hero kill the bad guy in this one? This is kind of a kid movie. Um, but I don't, it just, yeah, it feels like, again, unearned. Yeah. So they pull this punch, but he, he, they have the beauty and the beast moment where he looks at her and he says, Betty, um, but the spotlight from and like takes the tear from her cheek and like contemplates it on his oversized finger, and like it's a little unclear to me too. Uh, before that moment, like when he spares Abomination, like you know, lets the chain kind of go, but then like stands and like has his foot on Abomination's chest, and there's almost this kind of like twisting motion, and it feels like something out of like a Bruce Lee film when he like lands on the guy's chest. And all you see is him kind of twist his hips, and you know that that guy just got like his rib cage shattered, and it kind right. of feels like that. And Hulk, you know, howls, and then it pans up, and you see Abomination is still kind of writhing around. And it's like, what's? So you decided not to kill him again? Yeah, like it. Just, it felt redundant and unclear. And then yeah, he kind of kicks him over, and is like, "Oh, it's your problem now, Ross." It's like. At least, you know, maybe, you know, tie the chains around him or something. Go, you know? go find so, a Once jail. you leave. Yeah. Go find yeah. a prison that'll hold this. <laughs> um, it's like, once once you fly away because someone shined a bright light at you, um, <laughs> these poor cops and soldiers are all on their own having to subdue and uh, detain this huge monster that you just struggled with. But sure... You you kicked him towards Ross and are going to jump away now. I that's that's fine. I'm sure I'm sure everything will be fine. Yeah. So he as you said, there's a spotlight on him from helicopters, but people have seen him do this heroic thing by saving the city. So maybe the Hulk's not so bad. Uh but he, he runs off, he you know jumps away. We get a quick shot of Betty looking at a picture of Banner on her camera. Um, and then we go to the scene of British Columbia where Banner is jogging. Um, we see that he's uh, got the locket. Uh, after all, he's mailing it back to Betty. Uh, and then he's meditating. Uh, he, as he's meditating, we see his eyes flash green, but this time he's smiling. And it's, uh, you know, Days Without Incident goes down to zero. And we're meant to understand that he is now working on becoming one with the monster as opposed to fighting against it. And uh, we get one scene that yeah, should, this feels like know. the first like real allusion to what we get in Avengers of him talking about uh, you know that his secret is that uh, I'm always angry. that he's always angry. Yeah, yeah. It, this feels like the first real sort of hint of that, but it also like and maybe maybe it's just the goatee, but like that close up on Ed Norton and the smile, like I was like, wait, is Hulk? evil now like is like it just it didn't feel like the hero moment i think they were going for yeah like i kind of got the idea but the execution felt off and again a little unclear and then we get it clarified once we get into avengers and you know with ruffalo's performance and the lines there but like here it's sort of like so 
he wants to change and he wants to change inside the cabin that he's in because like I would do even that if outside. it's just like oh yeah. I can control him now and I change like you're gonna break some of your furniture there sir like <laughs> there's a wide wide large wilderness out there around you eh, go it's a nice day out go meditate out there and practice your Hulk control right. Uh, and then we get one last scene, which in any other Marvel movie would be a post-credit scene, but they, here they did it as just a little epilogue, uh, where Ross yeah. is uh, doing shots of, I guess, absinthe, something green. Uh, and, <laughs> that was my thought, too. <laughs> yeah. Didn't seem like his drink of choice. I think but, it's uh, gin and that Brazilian soda that uh, that Stan Lee got poisoned on, I think. It's. Right. <laughs> uh, and Tony Stark walks in to say, I told you so, and you know, we put super soldiers on ice for a reason. And Ross commented, he always wears such nice suits. Ha ha. Uh, and he said, well, what if I told you we were putting together uh, it's a It's a conversation of references. Oh, we put yeah. them on ice. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh. like, yep. There's so much winking in this scene. It, it, it hurts my eye. But it reminds you, in case you didn't see the scene at the end of uh, Iron Man, that yes, the team is being assembled. And that's it. That is the end of The Incredible Hulk. Uh, a movie. Um, this trans, it, 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 yeah, transported yes. us into the future a couple of hours, just like we said it would. And this little uh, epilogue, uh, when you stop and think about it, both in terms of the team that is forming, why Stark would go to the the scene doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, Ross, especially isn't, he can't get with you what the we know about what happens <laughs> in the Avengers. But if you go and see, uh, and I think it was. It was either the first or second of the Marvel one-shots called The Consultant. Um, you get a scene between uh, Phil Coulson and Jasper Sitwell. And it mostly takes place with the two of them sitting in a diner uh, discussing exactly what has happened in the wake of Incredible Hulk. That apparently the uh, uh, World Security Council, uh, the kind of overseeing body of S.H.I.E.L.D. as we'll find out in The Avengers... Um, wanted to recruit Abomination to the team. They were like, oh, well, we've got this, you know, super strong monster in custody and we're making a team of super powered people. Let's, uh, you know, slap some kind of control collar on him and uh, be on our way. And the two of them discuss how that's not a great idea because Blonsky proved unstable and he wouldn't be a good fit. And so the plan is made that if someone were to be sent to Ross to arrange for the recruitment of Blonsky, who Ross found so unbelievably obnoxious uh, that he would completely shut down the idea, and then it wouldn't be that, oh, well, you know, oh, we don't want Blonsky. It would be that, well, we couldn't get him because this guy didn't want to play ball. So the reason that Tony Stark is sent... um. And the reason that it is called The Consultant, because again, this movie is taking place at the same time as the end of Iron Man 2, where uh, Tony agrees to be on board the Avenger Initiative as a consultant. Um, they send him basically to sabotage, uh, which I think is such a great recontextualization of the scene. Um, and for those of you who have not seen it before, uh, you can probably hunt it down on YouTube. If you've got a Disney plus account, they just added all the one shots on there and they are, they're all a lot of fun. So I highly recommend if you're an MCU fan and haven't seen them before, 
going and checking them out. Um, but yeah, this one is kind of like the simplest because it's literally just two spies talking in a diner. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of show a little bit of uh, the scene between Stark and Ross to give it its fullest context. And then it comes back to them in the diner and being like, he's like, yep, apparently he uh, tried to punch Stark. So Stark bought the bar and had him <laughs> kicked out. <laughs> it's uh, slated for destruction uh, in two weeks or demolition in two weeks. And it's just like, it's a, a cute little kind of winking thing. Cause I think once they wrote Avengers, they were sort of like, um, I don't know that that scene makes sense still. So they were sort of like, well, we can retcon it so that it does uh, make sense. And it's, it's, it's delightful and it's fun. And it's always yeah. fun to see Clark Gregg um, in a suit. Yes. Playing that character. Uh, but that is indeed that is our our podcast on the Incredible Hulk. I, I don't know much more. There, there's much more to say about it. I think you know we we said our piece. Um, you know it's it's, it's a movie. It's fine. We talked. There's there's good parts in it. There's things to be enjoyed in it, even if it doesn't all quite hang together. Uh, so for our next uh, podcast, we're going to be uh, revisiting a character we did not that long ago, but in a different franchise. Uh, we're going to go back to the OG Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, the first one. Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man. He will do whatever a spider can, uh, which will be good. That'll, it's a good, I think it's a good time to revisit it. Obviously, Spider-Man is way in the zeitgeist right now with No Way Home, uh, smashing all kinds of records. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the connections between that movie and uh, the original uh for, you know, we'll do our best not to spoil it, but I don't think we can do that. So, we'll, uh, but yes, we'll be talking about uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man next. That's your homework. And uh, again, if you like. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that uh, if if you haven't seen No Way Home yet, uh, one of the reasons that we're doing it uh, at this time is uh, it's going to be pretty close to when Noah and on it, like, you know, I totally understand and respect uh, if uh, you haven't felt safe going to theaters, but uh no way home should be out on home video it will not be coming out on disney plus uh but if uh if you can rent it or go get it on blu-ray or however you enjoy uh home video um i highly recommend i think doug will as well we we, we've talked about it a little bit uh in our um off pod uh, actual real life friendship conversations. Yeah, we both liked um, it for sure. It's 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 a really wonderful movie, and uh, and yeah, we probably will be discussing many of its connections. And uh, I think shortly thereafter, uh, there's another little movie by uh, Mr. Sam Raimi uh, that should be coming out uh, here in the next uh, couple of months, uh, sometime in May, I believe. Yep. Something involving doctors and strangeness and uh, the madness of uh, verses that are multi. Yes. Uh, so, yes, uh, Spider-Man up next. Uh, admin stuff. Again, if you like this, uh, go on iTunes and rate it highly and uh, get, drop us a review. Tell your friends. And uh, if you want to talk to us, follow us on Twitter at Go to the Marvels and uh, shoot us messages there. I'm happy to read that stuff on the show. And uh, until next time, Jordan. Excelsior. Enough said.